Hey guys, uh, we had a little bit of a technical glitch. Uh, Brian's uh, hard drive was full, so we lost the tail end of his audio, but thank God we had a technical error uh, with Dave, uh, with my co-host, not remembering to make him wear headphones. So actually, the technical error saved the episode. This is a fantastic episode. Thank you so much, Dave, for your time, and this is wonderful to uh, listen to. So enjoy, guys. Hello, and welcome to Scuttlebutt, the war movie review podcast. We're happy to have you with us as we take a look at films from the dawn of cinema to today. We aim to provide a raw and unapologetic review of each film's cinematography, historical accuracy, and delivery. In the process of analysis, certain details will be revealed. These spoilers are only divulged to ensure a fair assessment of each film. This week, we stormed the shores of Guadalcanal with Lewis Sellers' 1943 classic, Guadalcanal Diary. As always, I'm joined by Mike A. Yo, yo. Mike B. Hey. And this week's special guest, former Marine and host of the YouTube channel and Facebook page, Guadalcanal <clears throat> Walking a Battlefield, Dave Holland. So guys, what do you think? Ooh, just throwing it out there, huh? <laughs> Who's going to pick it up? Um... Well, let's have Dave go. The, the real yeah, let's have Dave go. Here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, um, thanks guys for um, having me on your show. Yeah, thanks a, for joining us. A pleasure. Man. I've been listening to a couple of your podcasts and starting out with a new show. So, yeah, it's some uh, good things you're doing here, and you've got a few good um, subjects that's popped up. Few, few um off the the beaten track movies I've noticed that there's a few that I've never heard of. So I had to actually go and and look them up. So that's good. Yeah, you, we, you're revisiting. You're not hitting the the main ones that everyone else does right off the bat. So that's that's right. actually good. I like right. that. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, there's so many war movies and everything, you know, it's just, we love to touch on everything and, and especially foreign movies because, you know, as we touch on like a Canadian episode, like uh, Devin was saying, like, oh, you Americans and your war movies and everything <laughs> in your culture. And yeah, it's so easy to do like SPR or, you know, Band of Brothers or, or that genre, but it's it's nice to get everything. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, um, when it comes to, uh, to obscure things, I had never seen this. Um, I'd never seen this before. So yeah, it was going in completely, completely blind to it all. Um, Dave, have you seen this movie before? Uh, so we're talking about Guadalcanal Diary. Um, Guadalcanal Diary. Yes, yeah. yes. I mean, I've seen it. initially seen parts of it years ago, and then I watched it in its entirety, uh, especially when I um, actually started working and living on Guadalcanal. Obviously, anything Guadalcanal related, I started you know viewing it and um, Guadalcanal Diary was on the list. I always thought it was, and I will get into that today, but I always thought it was a, a propaganda movie, and, and then I started studying studying it more and more, and obviously we'll talk about that today, and, and I won't hit Excellent. the spoiler alert right now, but yeah, yeah, I've seen it a couple of times. Yeah, I had seen it probably 10 years ago, and I've read the book, because I, I really like the Pacific, and I try to, to read a lot about it, because my grandfather was there and everything, and uh, it was interesting to see it now compared to like five years ago, because now that I'm making movies and things, you know, have a different look on it. But it's definitely a, a product of its time. But it's very interesting for, you know, 1943 when it came out, because it's it's a propaganda film, but it has a lot of like death and things you wouldn't see at the time. Like, you know, they have the, the scene where they have the goatee patrol, but I believe in the film they call it the Clark Patrol, uh, which is that um, Dave can, can get to that in a second. But, you know, uh, they have a shot where there's like a platoon of dead Marines. And this film came out, it was released on November 5th, 1943. Two weeks 
before the invasion of Tarawa, where the footage of that would come out and it was beaches full of dead Marines. So it's just very fascinating how like, again, it's wartime propaganda and stuff. They did like go a little darker way at some points, but how it was released the month of one of the the bloodiest battles of the Pacific. So it's very interesting for what it was. You know, it's like, I'm torn for a lot of things. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I I agree, dude. I was not uh, like in terms of war movies, you know, from way, way back. um, I didn't think this was all like that terrible, honestly. Like I thought it was there was a lot of stuff that was admirable. in There was some stuff that was I thought it was impressive because it was made during the time it was in the middle of the war when it was made. And um, some of that stuff impressed me about it. But yeah, I mean, of course, the the propagandistic stuff, you know, does it's there but you're right that like it is you know there there are a lot of moments that are not uh you know they're like the part where they're being shelled for hours and hours and stuff like mm-hmm. that that's probably my favorite part of the movie and um uh there was some impressive stuff in there and i thought the actors were all really good for the time and uh i thought the dialogue wasn't nearly as cheesy as i was expecting it to be <laughs> um uh yeah it was not bad for for what it is and I, I agree too. I mean, um, <clears throat> since we're having the, the verdicts for the movies, um, I was expecting it to be. Um, I guess if you see other other movies around the same time frame, you think, well, you mentioned cheesy, and you know the props are bad, and it's very unrealistic, and and I didn't see much of that in this movie at all. I was quite surprised, especially when I thought, when was this made? Nineteen forty-three. Um, right. You mentioned November at the end of the campaign. It ended in the same year. It's a film was made and it ended in February '43, and this came out, mm-hmm. you know, in November, which was another mm-hmm. amazing thing. And um, and also, um, I don't know if it's a, a time to mention it now about the, the other actors you could say in there, the the extras, but I'll mention it now while I'm thinking about it. the extras. Were all from amphibious, the real Marines, all from amphibious mm-hmm. assault unit, and these mm-hmm. the same amphibious assault unit that hit um, Iwo Jima, and in mm-hmm. Guam, so. A number of guys, I, I would imagine, especially with the Iwo Jima guys, a number of those guys in that movie, the extras, uh, didn't live to see the end of the war. They end up dying. <laughs> so that's why it's quite realistic with the um, uh, some of the Marines and the, and the equipment and things like that. And also, I love the, yeah. the part, you can get away with it with the old black and white movies. You've seen it quite a, a number of times where they inter, uh, interdict the real footage. Yeah. You know, you see Sans Iwo Jima, and that, that makes it very realistic. Because someone said, "Oh, that's not realistic." I go, well, "It is. Well, that's, that's, that's actual combat footage. That's right. what it was. Like, yeah, that's yeah. Really it. Yet, right? You still get people yeah. argue. They're all. Oh, that's not the yeah. right. You know, look how that guy's holding his, you know, his uh, his equipment or his helmet right? was, or this way. Oh yeah. I go, well, that's that's real guy. No, it's not. It's all fake. Okay. Yeah, but... There's a lot of really cool mannerisms to touch on that. Like the one scene where they talk about the first night on the island, and they have the sentries walking with the rifles pointed down. You know, the bayonets and stuff like that's yes. really cool. You don't have rain go in the muzzle. Like that's a that's something you're taught. Dude, I was going to point that out. I was going to put that. Out. I'm glad you actually caught that because mm-hmm. that's been a thing since the first world war. But it's it was never captured on screen because you got to have the, you know, the the stereotypical picture of the guy with his rifle up and the bayonet sticking above his head. But like, no, that's like you undersling it. That's an old practice. Like people think it's like brand new. No. Keep the fucking water out of the muzzle, out of the barrel, out of the bore, because you're gonna have problems even if it, even if you tilt it perfectly, and it, it's just like it's not good for the bore, at all. And they were taught that from the First World War on, 
And they actually portrayed that in this film. That was a really small touch, but I loved it. So I'll tell you another. Go ahead. Oh, after you, Dave. I know another small touch that I thought was very realistic because the technical advisor was a is well was a um, Guadalcanal veteran because I remember it's less than less than a year when he'd left the island, and um and being a former Marine, this really um I, I kind of laughed at this before they were going over the side in the August the seventh when they were hitting the beach and before they were going into the landing craft. One of their gunnery sergeants come up and said, I think it was a gunnery sergeant. One of the NCOs told the guys, he goes, unbuckle your chin straps, unbuckle your cartridge belts. Yeah, it was a gunny. Yep. Yep. Yeah, before you get into the boat, because obviously, if you know, if you miss and hit the water, you want to get rid of that belt and helmet very quickly or you'll sink to the mm-hmm. bottom iron bottom sound. I thought that was a nice little trick in there. And also, you'll see the um, there's uh, sight protectors over the, M- the yeah. O3O3. Mm-hmm. That yes. the, and not the Army right. ones either, the, the Marine Corps ones. The, the, the bigger ones. ones. Yes. Yeah. And so, yeah. okay, that, that's something really quick that I actually do know about and I want to just pitch in. In in the First World War, it was the exact same. And people think in the First World War, they didn't have sight protectors. It was on the packing list for the Army and the Marine Corps in the First World War to have the globe protectors on the front side, right? In the Second World War, it was the exact same way. Like, you're going to have that protector on there. When you're on the range qualifying or, you know, doing stateside training... It wasn't required from my knowledge, but like when you were deploying to a combat zone, you had that front sight protector on there and they had the, the bigger globe. Cause the army had the, I mean, I, I don't want to grab my O3 right now, but like um, the army had the smaller one and the Marine Corps had the bigger globe and they actually did have that detail. Perfect. So their advisor was not only a Marine, a veteran of that, uh, 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 battle, but he also paid really close attention to detail or somebody did. I don't know who did, but like, it was so cool to see the bigger globe sites on there because that's what they were issued. So, um, yep, Mike. I, yes. So like that, that, so I, I don't know if we're, are we talking about on, uh, the Springfields are we yeah. talking about yes, that? On the, on the okay. O3s. Yep. Right. Yep. So did you guys notice towards the end of the movie, one of the Thompsons has a big ass hooded sight. Yeah. On the front. Th- what is that, that? I did. I don't know. Yeah. I'm just like, what? I've never seen that. Oh, well, During the war. Oh, yeah. We're touching it, Dave. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know if we can get to the part about weapons. I mean, we can, we can save that. You, I don't know how we, you want to do it. We can just jump back and forth. It doesn't yeah. matter. We can so, just touch on it now. Yep. So, I think it's street, stream of consciousness. <laughs> so, so I think about weapons, you know, obviously you've got the the Springfield 1903s, which is very um, realistic because that's what the Marines, oh, yeah. the Marine infantry uh, regiments landed with. There, there's a, uh, a fallacy out there, or I guess an urban myth that when the Marines on Guadalcanal did not have the M1 Grand initially, and they did have the M1 Grands um, initially, that was the 3rd Defense Battalion guys and 11th Marines, which is artillery. I've got photos of them jumping over the, the side of the boat on August the 7th with M1 Grand. The infantry regiments, mm. so you had three infantry regiments, it was there, the three infantry regiments had the O3A3s. So what the Marine Corps started doing um, when they started issuing the um, uh, M1 Grands, they started issuing it to the defense battalions and the guard battalions and the shipboard battalions first before they, which is a bit strange. The, I think there, there was a reluctance from the the old school um, officers and NCOs to have the O3s in, you know, they love their O3s, but they thought if a, if a Marine was out guarding by himself, he needed eight rounds 
rather than you know, that was okay. the, that was a theory. Mm-hmm. But anyway, these guys when they landed, there was a small amount of M1 grams, and obviously, I think everyone knows when the army first landed on Guadalcanal in October. You know the old thing about the army leaves an M1 grand by a tree, then it's replaced by an O3 uh, very quickly, and there was a lot of liberating, <laughs> a lot of liberating M1s um, from the yeah. army. Um, and then when the Eighth Marine Regiment landed in November on Guadalcanal, each one company in each battalion had the M1 grands. So there's a lot of grands. But getting back to the movie, when the Marines landed, all the infantry guys exactly right. They had the O3s. Um, mm-hmm. One thing I didn't, I was looking for, one thing I did not see in the movie, and I don't know if you guys picked it up, and if, if there's one, I must have really missed it. There's not a Browning automatic rifle anywhere. No, I there's didn't not see a bar. one at all. Yep, me either. I didn't yep. see a bar. Yeah, you're right. And there should be, uh, was it one or two at this point per squad? Well, they had a nine-man squad at that, at that stage, at least one, because um, mm-hmm. they didn't have the fire teams mm-hmm. like Edson's Raiders, but, mm-hmm. or sorry, um, um, Carlson's Raiders. Um, Carlson, yeah. Yeah, the fire, developed the fire team. Um Another thing I noticed, you had the Thompsons, which were good. And getting back to your Thompson, mm-hmm. it looks like every time the Japanese weapons they had, um, I was trying to see if they were air soccer rifles. I, I, I'd have to really go <laughs> deep. I, 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 I can, I can, I can, I can go on a rant about that for like two minutes if you will allow it about the Japanese, the Japanese weapons. That's the most fun you part see, of the you movie. Throw the yeah. Thompson. Did you see the Thompson at the end? The Thompsons oh, mounted in I a tripod. Did. Yeah, you seen uh, that? One? Yeah, uh, in the Vickers tripod. Yeah, with a thirty rat cow. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, the Lewis gun. Yep. Mm-hmm. From what from what I know, from what I uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that was the the big machine gun. Like was supposed to be the Type Eleven, like kind of the or you know on on the tripod was a Vickers Air Service. You know, because it was like it didn't have the shroud on there. It just had the barrel, but it was like it's still the drum on the back. I don't know. Well, I do know because like it was mid war. You, you can only get what you can get, right? There's only so much captured shit that you can use to make it accurate. But it was a, it was a, uh, or I'm sorry, not a Vickers, a Lewis. Lewis, going yeah, Lewis, Lewis Air Service. Yeah, I, I misspoke. Yeah. Yep, my bad. But like it was a, it was a Lewis, you know, like version of the gun without the shroud and everything. And then they were using Thompson 1928s, 28A1s. And they were using O3s, and they were also using Craig 1898s. I saw and a 1898 too. Yeah, I was just I was just gonna say that, Brian. They were also using German Gewehr 98s, and so they were not using any of the weaponry the Japanese forces would have been using. I will say this though: the Japanese Navy did use a copy of the Lewis gun called the Type 97, which they had a lot of Buna, and they have some of the canal. But it depends. There wasn't a lot of Navy troops. In the it didn't canal. look like it didn't look like this in this film. So, well, but there's a similar version. Like literally, it's if you look at the 97, it's they the version kind of. that without a stock with a stock. But still, Japanese Lewis was a thing, so I'll give them that. And the, the Japanese no, it was, but like yeah. at, at this point, they didn't have the captured weapons, man. Like, and so I understand mm-hmm. it. I understand it. Like I'm not. I'm not shitting. I'm actually for once not shitting on a fucking production for getting the weapons wrong for the enemy because this is, well, okay, so they released it in late 43. They started shooting in early 43. You're not going to have all that shit. You know, so you got to make do with what you have and I get it and it's fine, whatever. Uh, A lot of the Japanese guys are wearing M1s with nets on them, but... Yeah, (laughs) I thought it was fascinating because it took me a while to realize because I'm a helmet nerd, just like Mm -hmm. Like It was fascinating and I noticed some of the Marines have nets on their helmets the exact same as the Japanese. 
So I wonder but if the, there was not the correct up. nets. No, not the correct nets. That's the problem. It's like well, stupid little details like that. But like, yeah, I know what you're saying. There yep. were no nets yep. for the Marines on the canal. Like there were no covers as far as I'm concerned. But there, but there, there were, were nets. Units, like, hmm? There were nets and there were burlap sacks. Really? Well, I know the Cor- Raiders thank had. Thank you. The, the, yes. the Raiders had the burlap. And I know that the 8th Marines, when they came, they had some lattice work for like leather. You see on some of the Kelly helmets and the other ones. But they had nets. Yeah, it had netting. I mean, obviously you didn't have your... Any, um, your later helmet covers, you know, brown yeah. side, green side out. That's one of the mm-hmm. the quick indications. If if someone sends me a photo and says this is Guadalcanal and they're wearing a, a helmet cover, I go, well, it's not. Cover, yeah. It could be it could be later when they trained on Guadalcanal, but it wasn't during the campaign. But if you look at the first photos of Guadalcanal, especially the guys going over the ships and in the landing craft, you'll see some units with net nets on the helmet hmm. or the netting on the helmet. So obviously, well, were, 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 were they were they um, were they uh, individually made and like now, i don't know if they're issues i don't know if they're they standard i think they were a standard Indian? issue because they all looked roughly the same and, and it wasn't just okay. one unit it was a number of units that had them i know there's a famous photo um uh, of the guys on guadalcanal and it gets mislabeled quite a number of times if i had it i'd pop it up um mm-hmm. uh, but anyway it's um it shows them all sitting in a rest kind of area they're all in, in line walking up a, a small ridge and that was a, um, and it's been mislabeled Seventh Marines. But after all the the research I've done, a number of other other people have done, and and the famous Marine Sid Phillips from the Pacific series, he's actually pictured in that photo, and it's um, Second um, Battalion First Marines, and it's the eighth, it's the day after the landing, and and they're dressed a lot of them in their khakis. Yeah, I've seen pictures of that. Yes, and the reason they were in their khakis because the battalion commander said, "You're going to wear your khakis." Because I can find, I can work out who is in my battalion very quickly when we hit the beaches and, and if we get intermingled, I can work it out. It's actually quite smart. <laughs> and it made them wear their khakis. And and you'll see in that photo, um, they've got their individual mortar vests that they made on a ship. They made them their mortar carrier vests, so they put some mortar shells and stuff in them. They've, they're, they're all homemade. But what I'm getting at is that... Make, what did they make them out of? Uh, I don't I'm know. Can, or canvas, I think. I mean, you can see in the photo. If you go by the photo, you can see it. It's... It's, it looks like on the ships they made their own. They made yeah, Sid, covers. Sid Phillips <laughs> like in his book. Yeah, Sid Phillips in his book in the, in the, the harnesses. He um, describes it in detail how they made them and, and what they made them out of. And they took their time to make them. And he said, "Oh, we can put more sixty millimeter mortar shells in them." Yeah. And it shows them in that photo. It shows a couple of them. In fact, Phillips got one on him. On his, he's actually taking a piss huh. in, the, in the top and, right of the, the photo. I, he's he's standing by off away from everyone else in the top. Yeah taking a leak he said and he says it in his book he describes it but also in that photo it's a good photo because if you, I've studied it in detail um, there's one guy with a Japanese canteen they picked it up mm, he must yeah. have picked it up and in the Japanese canteen um, and there's a number of the guys with those those netting on the on the helmet but you've seen the lighter photos and obviously the netting and including also um, and I'll mention it here in the movie that's one of the things I was mentioning here like the white t-shirt like I got on here mm-hmm. um, initially they had them and they only had one white T-shirt. They got rid of underwear. And that white T-shirt wouldn't have lasted more than, I'd say, two or three or four weeks. And then the Guadalcanal at the end, when they're looking raggedy and everything, they still have the white T-shirts. And I said, no, nah, that's, that's not <laughs> Yeah, yep. right? Yep. They would have yep. been brown yep. by that point, at the very least. Well, it had been just fucking yeah. worn. Yeah, it had been rotted. Well, socks, yeah. underwear, and undershirts. You know, you don't wear that shit in the jungle. <laughs> well, when it starts rotting and, like, it starts fraying, it, like, it, it irritates your skin when you're oh, yeah. wearing it 24-7. And it's like, mm-hmm. no, you just got to throw it off because mm-hmm. it's it's not worth it, you know? Um, yeah, that's a very good point. Um, that's it. That's it. Like 
we like to discuss in this thing on this podcast is like the intricate details and like the nets are great. Um, and then yeah, ditching the, the, the shirts and underwear. Yeah. Like, so what was the policy, uh, Dave, what you researched? Like, what was the, did they, were they, was it like a unit SOP to wear underwear? And then they just said, fuck this at a certain point. Or how did that go? Yeah, I probably never, I've never actually came across exactly what they were told to wear underwear or not. You got to remember a lot of the guys, especially in the first Marine division had, had a, a number of uh, banana wars, which is Nicaragua, Haiti, uh, veterans mm-hmm. from the twenties yep. and thirties in, in um, yep. Dominican Republic guys. So these old, old salts as they called them would have said, yep. you know, ditch your underwear. You don't, you're going to get, you know, chaff or, you know, you, mm-hmm. you won't be able to, to wear them in the jungle. So I think, that's probably how um, it spread. And even the guys who started wearing the underwear after about two weeks, they said, you know, screw this. And they, they would have tossed yeah. them away. This is bullshit. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, um, I think it's okay. just necessity that it, it happened, but I don't think they gave an order. The division general said everyone dropped their, they call them Dax in Australia, but everyone dropped their underwear. Hmm. And they would use them to clean yeah. weapons and things like that. I mean, they would use them for something. Because when the guys landed, they didn't have, especially the guys in the 1st Marine Regiment, they um, one of their battalions, all their stuff went down, but they were all combat loaded because they could only uh, land with a certain amount of, of kit. So all the basic gear, so like mm-hmm. one change of clothing, if that. Just yeah, oh also, yeah, that, that, yeah. To touch on that right. too, I mean, guys got dysentery pretty quick, and they got pretty sick, you know, with everything they were eating and the tropical diseases, and you know that was another reason you ditch your underwear because it's another thing to get in the way. You're just going to soil. And I think it's uh, helmet for my pillow. I could be wrong, but it's one Guadalcanal memoir where he says that one guy in their unit figured out how to, he cut the inseam of his pants perfectly where he would just squat and shoot anywhere and like all the guys were, of... they were like so envious of him like god damn it fucking you know jeff and it's like, it was perfect it was like you know just i've heard it. yeah I, i've heard of things like that yeah happening on multiple fronts during wars yep. yeah they cut yeah. their they yeah. cut their ass out of their pants they call it <laughs> yep. yeah right mm-hmm. well it's like it's like it's like you know we've talked about this before but like who gives a sh- who gives a fuck <laughs> literally like <laughs> all the guys they've seen your dick and balls and your ass so many times if you got a shit you got a shit <laughs> and if you can make it easier and quicker you're gonna do it you know and so that it, it it's i mean to people that haven't experienced that kind of situation it doesn't make sense he's like well i'll just go find a toilet well it's like there are no toilets and when you have to shit, you're going to slow down yourself and everyone else if you take too long to pull your pants down, get your gear off. When you shit and just go, it's done. Okay, I can move on for another 30 seconds before the second wave or third wave or fourth wave comes. That actually is very, very uh, uh, advantageous to that situation. It's like pissing it's while fucked marching, up as it sounds. You know? <laughs> Yeah, it's fucked up. They as obviously, sounds, yeah. they obviously don't show stuff like that in this movie, but like I like in the in the uh, HBO series, The Pacific, they do. Like mm. on Guadalcanal, there's a part where their their little bivouac area, the guy is just sitting on a tree, just like maybe five feet away from them. You know, I think just it's peaches, right? <laughs> one of the guys. What's that? Yeah, 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 peaches, exactly. Yeah. And and then later on in the show, one of the guys they're sitting around in their little area, and he's sitting on an inside an ammo can and just taking a shit yep. in his an- yep. ammo can right in front of everybody. You know, it's like, that still happens. Um, right. by the way. So yeah. Um, but yeah, it's like it would dude, human. <laughs> that's the thing is like war movies never actually address these fucked up situations. It's like, we're all humans. We have bodily functions. We have to piss and we have to shit and sometimes throw up. Mm-hmm. And it hasn't really come to fruition until the, the past, like, 
I'll get off of this topic in a second, but like in the past, like 15, 20 years, like nobody addressed that. Cause like nobody was like, Oh, we'll show this. But like, that's a very serious thing that soldiers and Marines and airmen and, and sailors are dealing with on a daily basis. That's yeah. never discussed. And that, that can actually, okay. So if, if you, if you're a squad leader, right, you've got nine guys underneath you or 12 or 14, whatever the fuck your squad is made up of. And four of your guys have got to shit now and you've got to move. That's a problem. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that, that's an actual problem. And that's never talked about or shown in, in war films or series, but it's like, no, that's, it's a real thing. And, yeah, we're talking I, about that now, but like, yeah, well, I, remember, I got off on a sidetrack. Um, yeah, no, I, I just I, when I first met uh, Joe Bongiovanni at film school, he was doing some like this guy who made this shitty little war movie wanted to show it to him as like, you know, what do you think of this? Someone who's been in in combat before, someone who uh-huh. was in, in the army. And uh, a part of it, I remember he, t- he told me that, like, this guy goes, uh hang on a sec. They're like, you know, in the ways like, hang on, I gotta go take a piss. And he said that he just, he burst out laughing. He's like, no, you, in that situation, you pull just your piss. dick out and take a piss. Yes. Yeah. Like- yeah. <laughs> yeah. You just, you, pissing is one thing. It's like, literally you could, you could have a, you could be involved in a, a serious conversation, whip your dick out and piss in that situation. And yeah. nobody thinks anything of it. What do you think? Right. Dave? Like, do you no, agree correct. as yes. a Marine? Yeah. 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 Like you just whip your dick out and piss and like, nobody thinks anything of it. Shitting is a little bit different because it's like, well, that poses a health hazard. Eventually, like, we don't know how long we're going to be here. But no, yeah, it's that, that's why, like, Joe, uh, Joe's a great guy. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's why he laughed at that because it's like, it's so unrealistic. It's like in real life, you just whip your dick out and piss. Yeah, don't even think about it. Yeah, no, it's just like, I got to piss, so we're going to do that. And, um, yeah, but like, <coughs> anyway, I understand why it's not shown in this film in 43, but yeah, it's, um, it would have been a thing. I mean, like, and I, I can only imagine that, you know, being in jungle and stuff like that, like we were talking about oh. dysentery and things and, you know, diarrhea and all that. Um, but, uh, um, you know, they, they, they uh, like I say, I, I like in this movie how, like, yes, there is a lot of pro- the propaganda definitely leans more to like the hate of the Japanese. Yes. Um, oh. That's where the propaganda is like really heavy in the movie. However, they do try and like show that, this is about survival. It didn't, there was no like real strong patriotic like message to it all. In my opinion. Um, it was more about like, yeah, you got to start. And that's like the very end of the movie with the new guys coming in. And he's like, it's pretty rough here, son. It's like the, that that's the audience right there. It's like, they're trying to recruit people and say, Hey, yes, it is hard to do this job, but you know what? It's, it's a job that needs to be done. And uh, that's what I felt. The end of that was like, that was, you know, hey, audience, it's it's your turn to, uh, you know, to to be a Marine or whatever like that. Um, but uh, it, I, I felt that, like, it wasn't overly patriotic. But when the pop- the propaganda stuff was all, like, very, you know, Japanese or evil. And, like, Monks they used and, the yeah. words they used. Yeah. They used Buck, every Buck slur tooth, in the yeah. book in this movie. Tooth, yeah. yeah. And so uh, really quick, let's get on this because uh, I kind of want to dissect this. So Dave, as far as like the uh, series of events and how they actually happened versus what was portrayed in the film, how was that portrayed? wasn't too far off. The one, um, I guess, dramatic one that I noticed at the very end, it, all the the airplanes are here now. The air force or the uh, Cactus Air Force, the Marine planes have finally landed, and that was pictured toward the end or about the middle. Uh, I think it was in November. Um, I got it written down here. Time frame. 
It's like they'd been there forever and ever. Um, yeah, it was like late October, November when the planes landed, time wise. But in time wise, it landed on the 20th of August. You know, within three, three, oh, really? three weeks after they landed, when they had the airfield completed, the first planes mm-hmm. landed on the 20th of August. And, and obviously, how they were very late in jumping around in the movie was very, um, that's what happened in real life. But it was the time frame that was really off. And also, too, the, um, the Battle of Savo Island, which is the greatest defeat in U.S. naval history, there was a day off there. Um, the, night, the first night they landed, they said, oh, you know, here are the guys out there, these ships banging away, and uh, we've won a victory. And they, they dipped off they'd won a victory, but it was the, the night of the 8th and 9th. So it was just a minor, minor error there. Um, I think Leckie talks about that in his book when they, they're watching the battle uh, from some high rise or something. But the Pacific gets that wrong too. They have the battle of the night of when they're there. And it's, it's, it yeah. Yeah, so that didn't occur. <laughs> oh. Here's our other co-host. Uh, <laughs> so, and the Nate, editor, Nate. What is our uh, recording? <laughs> yeah, sorry. I just hit record. Sorry. I'm sorry. I've had a day. <laughs> yeah, it's all good. It's all good. So. Oh. Hi Dave, nice to meet you. Sorry. Yeah. No, you too. You too. And um, that was the only other other than the air air landing, and it depicted in October, November. Uh, the time frame was pretty much on there. I mean, you have a day or two off here here and there, but um, overall it was it was okay. And it showed the army landing a bit later than they did. The first army guys landed um, on October the thirteenth. That was the night that the the same day that the, the it depicted in the film where the the night of the battleships oh. or the bombardment. That was the first first day that poor 164th Infantry landed. The first day, well, that first night they experienced a major, um, probably the large, <laughs> most intense bombardment of any um, Allied troops in World War II. Naval bombardment, they reckon. Yeah, it's mm. not good. No, like, welcome yeah, to Guadalcanal, was... boys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. And if I remember correctly from my research, the the Cactus Air Force, as they were were called, they got there on the 20th, and that night was the Battle of the, the Tenaru. And the first time that they were uh, in action was the morning of the 21st when they were helping clearing out um, Alligator Creek in that whole area, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that, that's correct. The Battle of the Alligator Creek or the uh, Tenaru. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, they landed on the, the 20th and then their first um, missions were to, to do strafing runs on the Japanese in that pocket on the uh, east mm-hmm. bank of Alligator Creek. Yeah, and that's something they don't touch on in the, the film, but they do mention it. Um, and there was a film they made later in the war called Pride of the Marines, where they talk about the Al, the Al Schmidt, Al Schmidt um, Rivers. story. Yeah. Rivers and everything. Diamond. Um, yeah, yeah. Fascinating story, you know, but, um, yeah, it's interesting that, you know, they don't talk, they mention Edson's Ridge too, or Bloody Ridge, but they don't go into that as well. Um, and they didn't have caves on the canal. They had caves on Tulagi and Gavutu. Um, if I remember correctly. Well, they had caves and on the canal, but the Marines didn't, um, yeah, the Marines, the 1st Marine Division initially ran a Matanikau, and they mentioned Matanikau quite a bit because there was three major battles of Matanikau. That was a, a river. In fact, the most intensive um, and longest fighting on Guadalcanal happened around Matanikau River, and that was where the Getchi Patrol and the other things occurred. But they fighting back and forth across the Matanikau, and those coral ridges, um, the Japanese had bunkers in there. And then later, when the U.S. Army landed, and they fought at a place called the, the Gifu at Mount Austin, um, they were mainly went out against coconut log bunkers, but there were some caves in there too. But another thing we're talking about it too, we showed the caves and you know, that wasn't quite realistic. Um, that was, that looked like Camp Pendleton, which it was filmed on Camp Pendleton, by I think I read 
Because I said, oh, yeah, it was filmed in Southern California. I, I think that cave scene, I think that was in Malibu. I think that's oh, really? Malibu Creek. Because 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 uh, this was made by Fox, and Fox owned Malibu Creek, but it was their back lot, and they filmed like the show MASH and other movies and stuff, Planet of the Apes over there. And uh, I visited it many times, and it looks exactly like that. <laughs> <It> probably <laughs> and, uh, is. So, yeah, I'm pretty sure that was Malibu, Malibu Creek. But when we're talking about the caves, there was one thing I written, I wrote down here toward the end, because that's toward the end of the movie when they're clearing the caves out. I thought mm -hmm. the, the method they use um, was fairly accurate, and it replicated what they did on Tulagi on day one, because that was the day before the, the Marines, or the time before the Marines had the, they call them the um, blowtorch and, and, and quartz, or blowtorch and quartz screw um, yeah. tactics that they used in 44 and 45, you know, with, with demolition and, and flamethrowers and a combination. So they didn't have flamethrowers. And they didn't have um, bazookas, so they just had hand grenades, and they had their own ingenuity. And it, and they had a guy called um, Gunnery Sergeant Angus Goss in the First Raiders, and he was their demolition expert. He, he trained them all in demolition. So when they hit Tulagi, they had the Japanese in this case, and how we're going to get them out, especially on the cliff sides. They go, how are we going to get them out? So what he did, he took ropes, and he took uh, something like six or seven blocks of, of um, TNT or um, C4 and basically made a, and put them on a piece of board, like a plywood or, or wood. And what they'd do, they'd lower them down on sticks or they'd swing them and they'd swing the whole charge into the cave and then just ignite it there. And they would, they would abseil or, or rappel down with a rope, the Marines would, and they'd toss that charge through the cave. And that's what they were doing uh, in the movie. In fact, one, right. one time Angus Goss, he threw it in the cave and, it, and the explosion blew his pants off and, and, wound, <laughs> and wounded him. Oh, and they, and they oh, said the, the gunnery sergeant's hanging off the cave, you know, with no pants on, blood coming down his leg, yelling at the Japanese and screaming at him. And he went and, um, he went and got him a, uh, a Thompson and went back after him after that with no pants on. <laughs> he was on. so pissed. Yeah, no <laughs> pants on, a blood streaming down his leg. Goss. I think he ended up. Um, he won a, he might have won a Navy Cross in Tulagi, but he ended up dying, I think, in Cape Gloucester. But he was a legend. Mm. But anyway, in the movie, wow. that that what they were doing, those improvised techniques, I, I liked how they were doing it and shown how they were doing it in the cave scene. But also too, they they poured fuel down. They used um, uh, fifty gallon drums too. They poured into <laughs> the caves and they just you know they were just using their own in ingenuity whatever they had yeah. yeah it's interesting because you know you hear about cave fighting on Peleliu in the later campaigns but you know the raiders when they went on Tulagi they had no idea they would meet these fortifications so it's just it's good old american ingenuity you know just figure it out and uh that's the interesting thing too everybody's like oh they landed on Guadalcanal the, the first casualty was a guy cutting a coconut open with a machete but across the bay Tulagi Gavutu i mean it was horrible it was it was real fighting Especially for the Paramarines, they mm. got oh, yeah, decimated. They got, they got wild. You know? Yeah. And it's um, it's just not well known. And, you know, everybody's like Shavo Island, Guadalcanal, but just across the bay, you know. Well, they, the Marines the, the knew they had a... Of well, they knew they were going to have a fight. That's why they sent their best guys over there. You know, they sent the 1st Raider Battalion, sent the 1st Paratrooper Battalion, then they had the 2nd uh, Battalion of the 5th Marines, which is probably one of their best infantry uh, battalions. And they all sent them over there. And the 2nd Marine Regiment... Who were just on loan to the first division to replace the seventh infantry regiment or seventh marine mm -hmm. regiment? They were just there to just uh, be reserves, but they end up staying for the whole campaign. In fact, if it's quite the, the yeah. second marine, if you said the second marine divisions were the first uh, marines to land in Guadalcanal, 
people don't even know the second Marine Division was even there. They weren't part of the, the first Marine Division at the time, but yeah, quite interesting. Now, just to touch on this, the idea of a division of Marines was a new concept because traditionally they were done by regiments. And I know in 1940, there were more uh, New York City policemen than there were Marines. Uh, that's how small the Marines were at the time. Um, but so, yeah, am I right in saying that like it was more regiments and the idea of a division was really coming up in 41, 42, right before the Pacific campaigns? Or Yeah, you're correct. Because before the Marines, um, they'd always form into regiments. You know, uh, before uh, they'd have um, expeditionary forces, um, say pre nineteen hundred, and what they'd do is they just clean out all the uh, naval detachments and and naval yards and barracks duties and just throw them into a, a provisional uh, brigade, a provisional regiment. It'd be the first Marines or fifth Marines or whatever. Then they'd go do whatever they had to do. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. And then then I think later, right before World War One, then they formed into to regiments. And then, but they never deployed larger than a brigade size. And, and I think the brigade was the largest ever did. In fact, 1940, they had the first brigade and the second brigade. And then 41, they morphed them, those guys into divisions. But yeah, when divi- they never had a division. They tried to have a division in World War One. They were attempting because they had two brigades there. And that was the whole envision. If, if the war would have lasted, they would have formed a whole Marine division. Mm-hmm. And that's why today, I think it goes back to people refer to the Marines say regiment, when Marine says uh, 5th Marines, they mean the 5th Marine Regiment instead of 5th Marine Division. They say the 1st Marines is the 1st Marine Regiment, not the 1st Marine Division. So I think that harks back to the days where they refer to, you know, it was only regimental size. It was no divisions. And that's tradition. All 1st Marines, 1st Marine Regiment. That's that's a thing that you always see people make mistakes on. They don't have any background with the Marines. And all the 1st Marines were... No, the fifth Marines were here, and the eighth Marines were there. No, you know that's not a division; it's a regiment. Right, and it's a nomenclature too, like K three five. You know, K Company, Third Battalion, Fifth Marines. Uh, I mean, going from that to like an army thing, it's just gonna be jarring if you don't understand it. So, you know, you need that. that well, it's context. even jarring to understand the army nomenclature, like for World War One. <laughs> we've talked about that, but like it's you know, in World War One, I think um, Dave, because you know about this, because uh, I know the the Fifth Marine Regiment was with the Second Infantry. Or I'm sorry, the second division for the army. It wasn't infantry at that point, and people think the fifth Marines, like the fifth Marine division, was with the second infantry division in World War One. It's like, no, the fifth Marine regiment was with the second division at Bella Wood and all that area, right? So that's where it gets really, really, yeah, it gets really confusing. And because I know a little bit about that nomenclature, it's like I know exactly what you're saying right now, and I'm kind of just like laughing. You know, but it's like it's to to understand that shit. You have to, dude. Even for somebody that understands the basics, you have to get into that. And it's like, well, when did this? When did they start having marine divisions or brigades or whatever? And when did they start calling it this? And the uniformations, and then they change them all the time too. It's like, okay, so yeah, it's very it's very uh, interesting. So yeah, I'm just kind of just sitting back enjoying this because for our listeners, like they're gonna be like, oh shit. The 5th Marine Division wasn't in the First World War? No, they weren't. <laughs> didn't exist then, you know? The 5th Regiment existed, and the Marines were so small at that point. And that was, um, correct me if I'm wrong really quick, and then we'll go back to, I'm sorry, I just love World War One, But, like, um, so that was, World War I was the one of the first times that a, a majority of Marines were actually sent on to be a land force. Correct, in World War One. 
Well, I mean, they like, were used a, a lot of a lot of them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously during the, the American Civil War, they were initially the in the Battle of Bull Run, or you know, depends on what part of the state yeah. you're from Manassas, First Manassas. But um, <laughs> there were a battalion of Marines and mainly recruits, mm-hmm. and they were part. You know, they were I think from the Marine barracks anyway, and a, a few naval naval shipyard they they formed. Them. But normally, yeah, they were they didn't fight many land battles, and that was the first large uh, land battle. I mean, they used them during. Were there actually regiments? with you know attached to army units and whatever like it was like oh that yes was yes. Like, for, yeah. For, yeah. i think there was That's a unit at peking i think the marines were at peking china yeah yeah there were small right. units yeah, and china they, marines. they formed yeah. them into there yep. and they yeah, also yeah. they were in a, the um yep. the spanish-american war you know they're in all these mm-hmm. little expeditions yep. you know they fought in korea in the 1860s a lot of people don't know that they fought <laughs> the koreans in the korean force really? yeah read that it's a, a famous thing huh. um the navy and the marines were there there's a series of korean forts I think there were a few Medal of Honors earned in 1870s. Sorry, 1870s. Wow, I had no idea. So I'm off to go research. You can tell about the reservoir. It's like your great grandfather was here a long time before you. Yeah, were yeah. The Marines maybe one um, earned Medal of Honors in Korea. I'm pretty sure they they definitely fought. I don't know if they earned any medal. Yeah, but it's like I guess my question was like the the or not my question, kind of like my my statement that I'm questioning you on is if I'm correct is like. The Marines were a very small part of the military, and they gradually got bigger, bigger. And then World War One, that was the first time where it was like regiments were deployed, like big units of Marines. And then from there on, it was uh, in the interwar years, the Marines were still there, and they were figuring out, yeah, we're the 5th Marines, we're the 1st Marines, regiments. Um, and then in World War Two, it's like because of the draft and because of what became after you know, Guadalcanal and everything – then it was like, all right, now we have divisions of Marines. And so it kind of, it was like a buildup of the size of the United States Marine Corps, like fighting units, right? Yeah, pre-war, pre-war that's when they knew they're going to, you know, the war clouds were there and they knew probably going to be fighting the Japanese. And yeah. initially they had two brigades um, in the fleet Marine, they had a fleet Marine force, Atlantic and fleet Marine Port, force Pacific. And um, that was the two, they were going to be, um, when the 19, I think, 35 amphibious tentative amphibious doctrine um what the mission the, the two, two brigades is nothing that's so that's so but that was a nucleus i think like yeah. a core a core units and they were going to expand off and they were going to use these guys to yeah. to seize the advanced naval bases and especially against the japan mm-hmm. and but that pre-war or pre-war for us um that's why in 1940 and 41 they said we need to expand the marines so we had two brigades, oh. and then we can use these as a core group that we can expand and quickly into divisions. Then we have two whole Still divisions yep. uh, of Marines initially. Then, obviously, then it worked out what they had mm. to do. Then it, it just got larger and larger. Then, then they end up getting uh, the 6th Marine Division, which was actually born on Guadalcanal in 1944. And that was They had to like clean all the barracks and, and the shipboards and, and scrape the barrel bit. Not, not quality, but uh, quantity-wise to form a new division. That was the whole deal. They weren't going to get any extra troops. And they said, do you want any extra troops you use for what you already have? And they did. They Because they had a few brigades or regiments out there, and they just formed them into a division. I know a lot of the specialized troops from earlier in the war ended up in those uh, later divisions, like the 4th, 5th, and 6th, the Raiders, Paramarines, once they entered the schools. Um, I think a uh, famous guy, he's wrote a memoir about uh, Bloody Ridge. I forget his name, Martin something. But I remember he ended up as a uh, MP in the 6th Marines on Okinawa. Yeah. And uh, he started out as a raider. Well, that so. was one of the strategies how to get uh, Marines. They said, you know, fill them from what you who you already have. So they 
the whole mm-hmm. Raider, the first Marine uh, Raider Regiment became the fourth Marine Infantry or fourth Marine um, Regiment. Hmm. And even though I know like some, some Johnsons that were in the Marine division, the, the Raiders and stuff ended up on the canal or like paramarines, like they just because they had them and they didn't give them up. So mm-hmm. I, I want to ask something like, okay, paramarines, did the paramarines ever actually parachute or were they, they, did they just land on boats like everyone else? They realized pretty quick that there was no jumping in the jungle is horrible because you're, of course. Yeah. That's kind, of, that's kind of what I've always heard, but I've never really found a clear answer. There were some army jumps at lay and then the rock and Corregidor. There might've been one more in the Philippines. I don't remember, but as far as I know, there were no paramarine amphibious operations in the South Pacific uh, as far as jumping. And there was also logistics for planes because think how far away these islands are. I mean, right. can you really, you know, sustain that and do that? But they were, they fought a lot in Solomon's, Guadalcanal, Tulagi, uh, Bougainville, Choi Sai, right. there was a raid there. And then I don't they think still they, wore like jump, they still wore like jump boots and stuff, right? Oh, there were jump boots, paramarine boots to call them. Yeah. And later on they had these big, uh, like, uh, frog skirt or what is it called? Frog skin camouflage, uh, like aprons and stuff. And, uh, right. Yeah. They used like the folding stock M1 carbine and everything. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. But they, they also had the Johnson light machine gun, which mm. they loved. They, it was like everyone, they wrote to Johnson, the guy that made it. It's like, send us more. Cause it was just everybody that <laughs> had, they loved them. And they were like, fuck the BAR. It's half the weight, twice the rate of fire. Like that was a big thing for, for them. And uh, David mentioned it earlier, uh, talking about um, Carlson's Marines, second Marine uh, Raider Battalion. They had something called fire teams, which is, it was a really interesting concept that actually evaporated uh, later on. It was adopted by the Marine Corps generally, if I, if I remember correctly. Uh, you want to touch on that, Dave? I know you can get into it more than I can, but. Oh, you're talking about the Johnsons? Sorry. Well, sorry, talking about the fire teams. Oh, fire teams. Yeah, did. the fire teams. Yeah. yeah. Um, that was a concept that, that Carlson, Evans Carlson, who was the uh, battalion commander of the Second Raiders, is a concept he picked up from the, the Chinese, the actually communist Chinese, because um, he was uh, basically with those guys for a number of months uh, with Mao Zedong, and he adopted a number of, of ways. And then when he was given his own battalion with James Roosevelt, which is the uh, president's son, uh, basically... He decided that's what he was going to do. He knew he had a quick, he had a small unit. They needed a lot of firepower. And if he could centralize control and, and coordinate it better, what he could do instead of having, before you had a squad leader and then he had nine Marines. So in the combat, it's just hard to for one Marine um, sergeant to command nine guys, especially in the heat of combat when they start moving around and if you're using fire maneuver. But he had a concept if he could say he had a team of three Marines with one, say, uh, senior um, private first class or a Lance Corporal. Lance Corporate, yep, yep. Which is nowadays. They didn't have them uh, then. But you'd have a fire team leader and you'd have two um, fire team members. And those three guys would do everything together. And then it would give you three uh, maneuver elements for a squad leader. So, for example, you could have two providing cover and fire and another maneuvering, or one providing cover and fire and two maneuvering. And plus, also in the heat of battle, those three guys would be able to, to be coordinated by their, their um, um, I guess, leader. And another more important thing, especially being writers are smaller, they needed a lot of firepower. What he did was he'd said, well, before the, the Marine Infantry Squad only had one BAR, like we mentioned before. But with that fire team concept, at that stage of the war, and they had M1 Garands because they pulled a few strings, being a president's son, mm-hmm. um, they got M1 Garands. So he had an M1, M1 Garand. You had a BAR and you had a Thompson. 
And, and, oh, shit. And then the squad leader generally, either he had a Thompson or he had a Grand. It was up to him, whoever he did. So so one squad, you know, of, of 10 Marines, you have three BARs, three Thompsons, and, and four um, M1 Grand. So you could throw a lot of a lot firepower, firepower down. Because it, yeah. the equivalent at the same time was um, – you know, something like eight boat action Springfields, one VAR and a Thompson. So yeah, you can and imagine meeting a Japanese uh, squad one on one. You could you know overwhelm them with firepower. But that that concept, um, it was taken over by other other Marines, and then it by the end of the war, all Marines infantry uh, units had that concept, and it. I think it is until this day. I mean, it so so, so was that was that also at the same time? I'm actually curious. I don't know this because this is interesting to learn. Was that at the time also? Did that bleed over into the army? Is that why they have fire teams and they've had them for a long time? I would say so because I don't know in when in World War II the army took that concept or if they took it in World War II, but I know it bled over to the the regular Marine infantry units in World War II. By '44 and '45, mm-hmm. these guys are running around with um those fire team concepts. And then it stuck, yeah. you know, every war after that. And I don't know exactly when the army would have took it up, but I'd say it came from that because it's a, it's a no brainer. If you look at it, it just makes sense. Oh yeah, around. well yeah, yeah. It's like I just I just I might have to do my research on that one too. Like look up it, the uh, the the involvement with the Marines in Korea in the eighteen seventies, and now <laughs> when did the fire team become a thing hmm. in the army? You it, know, it's, it's like it's very fascinating because the touch on this too. You know, Edson and Carlson, they were two older Marine officers, and they went to China to, you know, study the war that was going on there in the 30s. And you know, Carlson, he went with Mao, the communist, and Edson, he went with, uh, what was it, Chiang Kai-shek. And they both came out of there with two completely different opinions of how to make a, a unit. And they built their units how they thought it was their, you know, brainchild. And they, they were at some of the craziest battles of the Pacific. I mean, you have the raid on Macon Atoll. And then, this, you know, with Carlson and then Carlson goes to the canal and they have the long patrol and all this stuff. Edson, he's at Tulagi and then at Bloody Ridge. I mean, just it, it's incredible that, you know, these guys took these tactics from the, the, the war in China and brought them into the Marine Corps and eventually became, you know, these big Marine Corps staples. Standard. And it, yep. Yeah. And it came from yep. a foreign civil war. <laughs> you know, it, it's just amazing how these concepts just get disseminated into armies. Absolutely. Well, um. Yes, man, we're just going off on nerdism. I love it. But uh, um, uh, Nate, um, what what do you think of this movie? If we want to stir it back to the movie a little bit, um, we, we we should. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, I <laughs> I mean, I actually was diving into my own research on something I wanted to ask Dave, but I can't seem to find the thing. Uh, but maybe you guys can jog my memory. What was Sam Fuller's unit in Korea? Or sorry, in World War Two again. Uh, first Infantry Division. Was it the first or was it the third? I thought it was the third. It's the, the first. first? Yeah, okay. Big Do you one. remember when we had that big argument about whether or not the first was in Korea? They were not. Dave, were they not in Korea or were they? First Infantry Division. Y- yeah. Or no, no. Sorry, first, first, first Marine Div. I don't oh, know. I'm, my brain's all like jacked okay. up right now. Yeah, <laughs> you're all the, right, the, dude. The, fir- right. the first for the Marines. Were, were they ever in Korea? We had, we had this huge argument. Oh yeah, yeah, they yeah. Were they were. Yeah, the first Marine division was the the guys that was in Korea. I mean, they they initially hit so they were the only division in Korea. I mean, they went to Chosen. They're the the famous guys mm-hmm. from the Chosen Reservoir. They hit you know Incheon, and then they manned right. yeah, all the, right, the right. hill, hill yeah. lines for Busan. Mm-hmm. Hey, Nate, Nate, I'm I'm just gonna tell you right now, bud. You're you're conflating that with what I said was that the first Army Infantry Division was not in Korea. 
Maybe They've been in every other American conflict except Korea. Okay. Which so, is interesting. So is that it? But I guess the spin on But the 1st Marine it, Division was definitely in Korea. Yep. Okay. Yep. Sorry. Um, my, they no, always didn't good. make we're it good. out. I, I, I'll, I'll explain my day later. But, Dave, I, I've had a cavity. I, I, had a, I had a filling break in midday today, and I've had <laughs> oh. just a terrible day. So I apologize for being late. And... I just uh it's been a day. So my mouth Don't hurts, but I, I'm going to try to talk as much as I can. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, in terms of the film, I mean, I'll keep it brief on my end because I don't want to hold up the flow. Um, but, good. you know, from what I missed, I mean, uh, it's a 19 it's, it's 1940s propaganda movie for the war effort. I mean, that's what it is. <laughs> I mean, it's great for what it is. I mean, I love it, but you have to you have to block it, you know, in that in that box when you review these things. And um you know, I, I think for me, I think it actually, I actually really enjoyed it for what it was. Um, That's what I he, said, yeah. Yeah, if you can get past the fact that it is what it is and what it was meant to do, it's actually really good. Like, we've we've done the bad ones. We know how those go. And, you know, this was a good one to me. I, I, I And you guys had, you know, mentioned I'm staying quiet, A, because of my tooth, but also the fact that I, I, I came in halfway. But it's like, you know, I, I'm looking at it going, oh, wow, like, that 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 cave clearing was pretty good. Like it wasn't hokey or anything. Yep. Like we, yeah, we just talked about that. I don't know if you. Were I, here I was that. here for that. No, I was here. For, oh, I yeah, came, okay, I okay, came yep, in just yep, before yep, that. And you guys are going off cave. I'm like, yeah, that's yep. exact. Chuck that yep. off my list. You know, like that kind of thing. And well, and it's actually I learned something too with that. You know, so yeah, I agree. It's good. But continue. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I liked that. I liked the, um, I even liked the corny one-liners, you know, like I, I liked, I liked. <laughs> we all don't got that. no avocados. Yeah, we had, <laughs> oh my God, dude, I laughed, I laughed. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was dying yeah. with that. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to use that every single time now. <laughs> just just be that asshole. Yeah. We got no, the avocados. I, I, I like, I liked that. I liked, um, uh, <laughs> even, I even liked, uh, the Rambo knife throwing at the very end. <laughs> Oh, I forgot well. something. Yeah, you forgot okay. something. Swap. Was that a bayonet? No, it was. No, it was a fighting knife. Dude, that was a fucking Mauser bayonet. That was a fucking like uh, oh, was it? 1913 or or uh, what? It was. Yeah. And I guess my question, and then we can get back to this. And that if, were all the Japanese using Springfields, or was that my imagination? Yes, we we discussed well, that. I'm they sure you. Using, I'm sure using, you. No, no, no. I'm they were sure using you've already 03s, hit that. Okay. 1898 Craig's uh, fucking Lewis guns, the air the air model for yeah. uh, planes and um, Thompsons. Yeah. So yes, they yeah. were using because okay. my opening line this one was going to be if I had a nickel for every time I saw a Japanese with a Thompson, I'd be rich by this point. So yeah, um, <laughs> with this movie. Um, but no, I mean I'm, I'm I'm sure you guys went over that, but like, yeah, no, it's like. Uh, I get why it's the war. It's during yeah, wartime. Yeah. When the hell would they have a Japanese arsenal yeah. that big to be able to do that? So it makes sense. But exactly, you yep, know, yep, yep, it was yep, it so. was for for all in all in all, I, I I liked it. You know, again, put it in the box of you know black and white World War Two propaganda. Let's drive the war bonds and go sign up and list. You know, the whole nine yards. It's you know it it, it was good. So I liked it. Just to push off that, I mean, there were a lot of really cool little things that I liked. Mm-hmm. Like the guy sharing the Bibles, I thought that was cool. Yep. Yeah, you know, yeah, two um, guys of one Bible. Yeah, lying about dames. Oh, I got a hot chick and hi mom. I that was yeah, that exactly. Was so that... so wartime, so naive. Uh, I liked it. <laughs> the the you know? one thing that's funny that's very like the time period, you know, is the the narration and uh, which I, I'm I'm guessing that was just taken word for word from the book. Um, 
it seemed like it anyway. Um, but one one part that I just started bursting out laughing, one because it's the name of our show, but just the way he said oh, it too. Yeah, I forgot <laughs> about that. Yeah. <laughs> At the I, beginning I, he's yeah. Yeah. He's like, they sit around exchanging scuttlebutt. <laughs> yeah, I thought about actually grab. I I actually thought about grabbing that for uh for an intro. So I thought that would be, yeah. yeah, I thought that would be good for that. Yeah, really I, quick, I, I, I've got a piss. I can't hold it anymore. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm, I'm I did too, man. No, okay. Maybe what you said yeah. earlier though. Didn't you say something earlier that you, you just let it let it go? In oh front yeah, of the just take, take your dick out. Just start pissing on the floor. <laughs> uh, hey Dave. Um, I would love to, but I wouldn't want to make you jealous. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like a button in a fur coat. Oh, God damn it, I was about to say that. <laughs> well, yeah, it's yeah, actually smaller than that, but hey, let's yeah. be honest here. But um, yeah, I gotta take a piss. I really like a two, can't it. It's a two-knuckle pinky. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. No, it's like it's like I don't know, it's like a, a thing of fucking um um hubba bubba. Like the little bubble gum. <laughs> but but a couple but a couple of them are gone. <laughs> a lot more saggy and just kind of pathetic. That's just what it's really piss. is. Go take a piss. Go go please, pee. Mike please. Mike yeah, left. Go, go 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 pee. All right. Fucking Jesus <laughs> nasty Christ. girl. Yeah, yeah. Um so yeah, just just to jump back into it to continue what I was saying. So yeah, there was a lot of cool things in the beginning. And also they were on a, a converted troop ship that was a civilian ship, if you notice, because there's like stuff on the walls and that was what they did they didn't really have apas or like the navy made ships like liberty ships at that point it was all civilian you know shipping vessels that had been converted like the queen mary uh you know things like that you know so that was kind of cool to see like the bead board on the wall and like it was when it shows them when it shows them walking down the wall like it looks like a hotel yeah yep like the office board everything yep and i I love i love the scene where the guys are arming on the ship they're doing the belts and everything. That was well, so they've, they've got the they so got the loader doing the fifty yeah. cal belts. On, yep, on it the was top like, of the ammo can is you should yep, do it because yep, it's got the vice. Yep. yep, and then you got one guy loading the links, and then you got the one guy loading the rounds, and it's like there, there were a lot of little niche things that you don't see very much later. In Why Hollywood. do you and Brian say niche? Niche was a fucking psychologist, a German psychologist. It, I don't know, dude. Maybe mm. it's an East Coast thing. Like I say that too. Niche. Okay. Okay. We have to get Dave's opinion on this. Uh, is it niche, like for a, a very niche thing to see in a film, or is it a niche thing? I'm trying to think what the Australian equivalent would be. <laughs> <laughs> Australia, well, Alabama. Oh, I guess I asked the wrong guy. Oh, yeah. oh I heard his niche. Uh, I heard his niche. Thank that's, you. Maybe that's that's old school. Who knows? It, it must it must be a northeast thing because I'm yeah doing it because yeah you and Brian are like. It's a niche thing. Michael and I like we're like it's a niche thing. Like it's a say, French I word. Say, I, I say well, niche. You're yeah. on that side of the Mississippi. Because niche yeah, is a very yeah, small yeah, crack. Yeah, it's a very yeah. small crack in something. That's what it it's means. Okay. It's like a very small thing. There could be different and regional things. When Brian said fox, though, that that kind of gave me fox, an aneurysm. Like well, yeah, no, it's not foe. just. So yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of New England bullshittery that we've got to overcome. <laughs> yes, but the guy, Max. the guy. Okay, who grew up in the U.S. and is in Australia also agrees with niche. So fuck, fuck the both of you. Anyway, uh, moving on. Anyway, right, Dave, um, this, these are the ramblings that we get in. Like, he knows. Go. He knows. Okay. All right. I, um, yeah. I, I, I think, think I'm. Fine. I think I might know one. One of the. I mentioned it before. One of the. One of the reasons. One of those little. They threw those little things in there. It's very accurate, and, and it's only mm-hmm. guys in the military would would understand. Because I mentioned before, most of the extras were guys from an amphibious battalion who were real Marines at the time, and right. some of them later died. So I yeah. think, and then he had a technical advisor, who's probably pretty hardcore. But the actors are obviously not former military. I mean, might have be. I don't know, but yeah. a lot of them are, are quite young. Um, 
So you had those guys standing around them all the time, and you'd have someone doing something. They go, "That's bullshit." You know, that's not how we do it. This is how we do it. Or they're or they're watching the Marines actually doing it. And they go, "Oh, we'll just copy what these guys are doing." Yeah, because mm-hmm. because it's so close to the time period. I mean, they're gonna pick up the little the little nuances and things like that. We had hundreds of technical advisors yeah. standing around you, hundreds of them, yeah. hundreds. Yeah, and it, it, it's it, it would would tell their opinion in a heartbeat if you're screwing something up. They'd say, <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and yeah. and like I always feel like we get the further we get from the time period as time moves on, obviously, it's like you lose those little things. So when we go back and watch these old films, like you see things that you know are not there prevalent in modern day. Like if we were to take World War II as an example, there's there's you don't really see those things, and it really does stand out when you go back and watch these older films. And it's because you have that fresh knowledge or that just happened knowledge of of being able to put them those details that you know the like hopefully vets that would ever go back and be like, oh yeah, there it is. You know what I mean? Or turbiners like us. I mean, it's just very interesting to go back and see that because you can see what has been lost to time in that sense. Or like you guys mentioned in another show, you know, a lot of these guys, especially in the, made the movies made in the 50s and the 60s, all, a lot of these actors were combat vets or military yeah. vets. Right. Yeah. Especially, I, I always used to love the show Combat, you know, the television show? Yeah. Oh, I yeah. know that, yeah. Because a lot of those guys are combat vets, you know? Oh, yeah. The, the funny thing is the way that Sanders holds the magazines is like so GI because they always would complain there was no storage with the, the tanker attack stuff. So you, you take your pistol belt, cinch it up, then this is a giant pocket, you know. So a lot of people are like, "Oh, that's wrong." But no, that's 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 what a combat vet would do. You well, see it's like all the time. Yeah, it's like even nowadays. Um, really quick, I'll just bring it to nowadays to compare it to why I did like a lot of things, little details in this film is because like people will say, "Oh, no, in Iraq or Afghanistan, you didn't you didn't do it this way because this is the this is what the manual says." It's like, uh, no. No, when you when your combat arms, you do things that make sense. You don't do things that are according to the manual. End of story, right? Yeah. And if your chain of command doesn't agree with that, they can go fuck themselves most of the time. But in this in the in in this film, yes, Nate, I'll get to you in a second. No, 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 go go ahead. I'm just holding my hand. But um, but um, so but in this film, it's like they did a lot of things that are not according to the manual, like the way they're holding their 03s a lot of times, and just kind of the, the their movements are not according to the manual, but they make sense because they're actually fucking there doing it. And so they know what makes sense. And I did like that a lot about this film is like, you got, you got some of the Hollywood, like the poses and like walking, hip firing with the Thompson at the end for dramatic effect, you know, blah, blah, blah. But focusing on the other things that they got right is like, and also, okay, one little thing. And then Nate, the sentry just randomly shooting the, the new yeah. brand new private sentry shooting at a sound because he was told to, he was literally told to on the ship that to me, I'm like, that is realistic. Cause it's like, you got somebody that's so fucking scared. So terrified. Doesn't know what's going on. It's raining horse cocks because it rains hard in the South Pacific from what I know. And it's like, he's going to be terrified going, Oh, I heard something move. Oh God, I don't want to die. Like, bam, we'll stop shooting. And the officer Someone replied, tells him to stop. Yeah. Right. But he, but he wasn't an asshole about it. You know, that's the other thing that the movies nowadays are like, stop fucking shooting private. And it's like, right. well, no, you, you have to understand as a, as a good leader, if you are one, which is very rare, it seems, but, um, you go, no, this guy's just scared. Hey, we're good. Don't wake the other guys up. Like just use your bayonet. Like he said in the film. And I was like, little details like that to me, like, they resonate today. 
You know, that's just timeless shit from soldiers that were in the Roman Legion uh, to nowadays in Napoleon's army to nowadays. That's like shit that resonates. And I actually like that a lot. Just the little tiny niche details. <laughs> and so, yeah, anyway, uh, Nate, I'm sorry. I, I no, no, it. it's niche, but it's okay. Um, oh, so, you so. fucking clown. <laughs> you fucking oh, that's clown. it. So, so, so are you horse fucking me right now? Um, uh, I was going to say, like, going off of kind of what you said with the manual detail, you know, I've had, I can't even count how many times veterans have come to me and, you know, I go about doing, I go about and doing like my whole living history thing. And the guy goes, you know, well, how do you do this? And I say, and I tell him I do it this way. And he goes, no, 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 do it this way. Cause that way we'll get you killed. Do it this way. Right. Well, what right, about this exactly. way? Nope. That will get you killed. Do it this way. No, yeah. I wouldn't use this. This is stupid. Uh, that might actually be right, but you should do it this combined with this. And it's like those little things are what has traveled down through, you know, the knowledge of every single vet, you know, the vets that lasted had all that well, knowledge gathered up through all of the people who did it wrong and or and the lessons learned from that. And right now, can I just really quickly say, and then I'm going to ask Dave something. Um, in Guadalcanal, that was one of the first engagements. Because, like, um, I know about the Army a little bit in the South Pacific. Like, New Guinea was happening around this same time. This was the first time that the U.S. military was engaging in actual combat, like, in late 42. That's the first time they were engaging. And so they were learning so much. But a lot of people had to fucking die for that. Yeah. And get hurt for that, you know? And so that's also what I like that was portrayed is, like, they weren't these badasses that walked in until the end, but um, they weren't these like badasses that walked in. They were getting curb stomped because we didn't know. We thought we knew we had tactics, but it's like you have to learn, unfortunately, through that. So, and to touch on that, I mean, you know, what Dave said earlier with the, the one line with the gunny's like, okay, undo your straps and your helmets and your belts. You know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. how many guys drowned because they fell off a boat? you know, and they couldn't get it off in time. How many mm -hmm. guys drowned or, or got killed later on because a helmet fell off you guys your internet and you fucking hit a guy in a Higgins boat or something. I mean, like there's all these little things that had to happen. And to touch on that, I saw something in the movie that I thought was interesting that is along these lines. So when they have the patrol, they drop off, um, you know, the, 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 they get killed, the goatee patrol or the Clark patrol in the film. And they're all getting yeah. off the boats and stuff. And they have the early LCVPs that don't have um, yeah, ramps but, in the front. You jump off and, the sides. Yeah. Yeah. And so if you watch it very closely, it's interesting they use this take. They probably didn't do it again. But they all jump off the boat and the um, the, the uh, what do you call it? tide is receding. And so they're walking up and they're getting pushed down. And the Japanese POW guy falls. He fucking trips. I, I saw and the, that, yeah. And, yeah, like and the Higgins in. boat, it gets yeah. lifted by the wave and it's literally about to crush him. I and, saw that, yeah. And the one officer grabs him in time and, and gets him out of the surf. And it looks good, but I'm like, oh my God. They literally almost killed an actor. That was only yeah, a like, Jeep. That, that was equivalent of a Jeep flip. So, yeah. Oh, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I saw that too. The guy hits the ground and he falls in. Literally, yeah. yeah he like, he yeah. almost died. And, like, I was yeah. thinking about that. I'm like, again, how getting accidentally crushed when you're you on a beach, you know? Like, uh, in the, on, a, on Omaha Beach, actually, uh, stuff like that would happen where the boats would come in and, like, guys that were hiding on would crush them and, like, kill them. From that, uh, yeah. So it's. I like, remember that that tank uh, story you told me about the tank, the Sherman that was yeah. on the beach and was running over guys. Ugh. Yeah, the, the yeah, guys were hiding behind it for cover, and then the guy said, "Oh, I got a reverse," and then he just ran over like ten uh, people. Yeah, you can't see shit. I mean, yeah. you know. Um, uh, yeah, and that, that, that is actually a question that I was gonna ask Dave. Like, I'm glad you actually said we knew this. 
So Dave, uh, when that patrol, again, I don't know what it's called because I, I know the basic level of Guadalcanal. I don't know any of the detailed kind of idiosyncrasies of the entire campaign and everything. So when they landed on that beach, they were in the film, they were pinned down on the beach or they didn't want to move forward. It was kind of a combination of the two. How accurate was that to what actually happened? Yeah, that's a good thing. I was going to discuss it. It was called the Getchy Patrol. Then uh, in reality, um, after uh, Colonel Getchy, who was the uh, division intel commander, uh, the Getchy Patrol became famous or infamous, um, and it kind of set the stage. It and another incident of how the rest of the, the Pacific War is going to be fought, especially by the Marines. Um, basically, brutal, no prisoners taken because the Getchy Patrol, and it's depicted in in the book. And the book's quite. Follows along with the movie um, uh, Trigaskis, his book, Richard Trigaskis, who was the actual correspondent. And and this incident happened on the 12th of August, was five days after they landed. Yep. So it was a it was a bit of a ploy. They didn't know how the Japanese wouldn't surrender, and they didn't know how um, deceitful they thought they were and later to be um, or claimed to be. So what they were going to do is... <clears throat> And, and it shows in there, too, about prisoners. If you notice it, there was another accurate thing in here. It showed the prisoners, they call them laborers, which are very correct and very um, very accurate because majority of the guys that the Marines captured um, on day one, two, and three in, in the preceding week or two were Korean laborers. They call them termites. Oh, they're Korean? They're Korean yeah. laborers. They call them termites because yeah. Um, oh. yeah, two construction battalions in there, um, a couple of thousand guys building that airstrip for the Japanese. Okay. okay. And the majority of those guys sense. were, con- yeah, yeah mo- most of the guys were construction workers and Koreans. And there's some famous photos of uh, captured Japanese uh, on Guadalcanal, but they're Korean laborers. You could tell they got um, um, like, um, like boonie hats on, or they call them an Australian giggle hats or, or bucket yeah, caps. Yeah, yeah. Did they, they actually get the uniforms right in the film? Yes, yes. And um and okay, they're just yeah, wearing yeah. like olive. They're wearing like um it's like a canvas they, canvas top and yeah, canvas denim bottom. Patch yeah, on there. denim. It, it did not look. It did not look like an IJA uniform. It did not mm-hmm. look like no. That. So they were construction, and, so, and you can yeah, tell. That's the question I had. Excellent. Excellent. I think one of the guys too mentions. I don't know if they're talking. Like I don't know if they're saying. They're not replying to our interpreters. Yeah, because they're speaking the lines, which, speaking yeah. Korean. And he mentions all oh, these are library guys. And in, in the very beginning, they shot one of them. They killed one of them because he came out of the bush and they got the boom. They shot him. And that happened, that's quite accurate because a lot of the poor Koreans were killed initially in the first couple of days by the Marines because they thought they were Japanese and they were coming out and uh, you know, shoot, this, shoot this Japanese. And they worked out very quickly that they're laborers. Then they started working for the Marines. But anyway, yeah. so what, um, yeah, I'll give you a little sidetrack there. In the Battle of Alligator Creek, they used to, when they killed these hundreds of Japanese, they buried them in large pits. And that's one of the vets and I've got some photos of the Japanese burying. They use the, uh, the I'm sorry, the uh, the Koreans is laborers to bury the Japanese, right? <laughs> I've got photos of the of them in stretchers and dumping the Japanese into into a hole. And and some of the vets said they were laughing at the Japanese and then they were urinating on the Japanese in the hole because obviously there was no love lost between the, the Koreans and, well, right, and, yeah. and the Japanese. <laughs> but to go back to the the Getchy Patrol, so that you had a number of these Koreans. That fled along with some of the Japanese, and they fled to the Matanikau, and they talk. They keep talking about the Matanikau River in this in this movie, and the Matanikau is now in downtown Haniar, which is the capital city. It's the main river there, and that was the scene of three major battles through the campaign. The Matanikau, um, 
So the intel said there was a whole group that captured this um, Japanese warrant, naval warrant officer, maybe a special naval landing force. I really don't know. He's definitely uh, associated with the naval. They captured him, and um, after they uh, got him pretty well drunk, he basically said, look, you know, I'll, there's a whole bunch of people want to surrender to you guys, you know, and, and he's talking about these laborers. And if you go there, that would mean the whole rest of the Japanese on this island will be gone. So Getchi, what he said was, okay, here's my plot. What I'll do is I'll form a patrol, take this captured Japanese uh, with me, and we'll go up to Matanikau or past Matanikau and get these two or three hundred or a thousand Japanese, and we'll capture them, and then the, the whole resistance on the island will be gone. But, but what they didn't know, the Marine patrols had been there a couple of days before at the mouth of Matanikau, and they got shot at, and they said, no, there's a lot of... A lot of bad fellas there don't go there. They're warm Getchy. But what Getchy did, he took a combat patrol and he took Marines from the intel section, from the division intel, intelligence section, and the 5th Marine Regimental intel section, and he basically threw them into a 25-man patrol. And there was a one guy on there called Lieutenant Corey, which was, uh, it's, it's amazing he actually was even on Guadalcanal, how much less put on this patrol. He had the knowledge, he'd worked on magic, which was a code-breaking for the Japanese code breaking, mm-hmm. naval code. He'd work, he knew all about it. There's only like three people on the whole island, including the Vision commander, knew anything about magic. And he was one of them that knew. So he would imagine a major risk if he was captured. But he, he was thrown on the patrol. So it was the first time these guys were going to go into combat. So everyone wanted to jump mm-hmm. on this patrol. So they took, you know, the regimental surgeon. They took um, all these intel guys. And they grabbed this this captured prisoner. And they, and they went out. And they had to come back in. They seen a flare. And, and the point in the movie where they see the submarine, no, that, that didn't happen at all. There's no submarine engaging. So that was one of the, yeah. the biggest. That felt very Hollywood. That I, was well, very Hollywood, I thought. That said, that just, never occurred. Never occurred. Just reading, I remember, though, in Guadalcanal Diary, the book, there is a scene where he's going from the canal to Tulagi on a PT boat, and a Jap sub surfaces and shells them. Oh, yeah. He even says in the book, and he's like, I cannot talk about the taxes that were used to get away from the submarine due to wartime secrecy. <laughs> and then he's like, then we arrived on Tulagi. So that was a different, that was an event that happened with him that I think they shoehorned into it. Well, in the first, um, first few but, days, yeah. or the first couple of weeks, Japanese would come up. As you know, they used to bombard them all the time, but the Japanese submarines used to bombard them. They got in, until a 75 millimeter uh, mounted on one of their half tracks engaged them one day. And that kind of <laughs> pushed them away. Um, but. <laughs> Yeah, so that didn't occur in, in, in real life being in a movie. So what they were going to do, they were going to take this prisoner. He was going to lead them. So they, they went out. They were supposed to be doing it during the day. It was going to be landed west of the, uh, the, Metanic, uh, the Point Cruise, which is uh, west of the Matanical River. And they got called back, and they were delayed. Anyway, they were delayed so much it ended up at night. And they said, we need to go back and get you. Get you the colonel said, no, we'll keep going. So they got caught up on a sandbar near the mouth of Matanikau. And they were going back and forth and back and forth in a, one of those tank. It was a tank lighter, um, which is, you know, a landing craft that could hold 30, 40 guys on it. And it, the tank lighter got caught up. It was making all these noise. And obviously, the Japanese started coming out. But instead of landing where they thought they were going to land, a few miles further on, they landed right at the mouth of Matanikau, where they were told it was a hornet's nest. And, oh. and in the actuality, when... The prisoner, when they started to land on that beach, the prisoner started yelling and screaming and go, no, 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 don't go here, don't go here, because he knows there's some bad other Japanese. This is not where I was saying, you know, the Koreans are down the beach. And they told him to shut up or whatever. And they had him, and, and 
in the movie, he's on a on a rope with a rope around his throat, like leading like a dog, which was entirely very accurate and very correct. So it shows him getting off, and it shows shows him moving in, and and it was very accurate too because it shows the the three Marines, and one of them in the movie it's a captain, it's not a colonel, and the captain and two guys, and, and it's Japanese, and, and in reality that 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 and, um, that actually occurred. So they entered the jungle, and they were trying to find out where they were. They were going to bivouac for the night. And then when daylight comes, they're going to move out. So they're trying to find out exactly where they were at. So they move into the jungle, and the Japanese are waiting on them. And the Japanese fired at them. And the first shot hit Getchi in the top of the head. And Getchi was a, a famous football player pre-war. So he was very – and he's like six foot three or six foot four. So it took the top of his head off. He died instantly hit the ground. And and the guy, one of the sergeants had the Japanese on the rope. They shot the Japanese in the back of the head. Cause he, but what happened after, oh. what happened after that, because they thought – the Japanese deceived them. There was a it was a dirty trick, and even during the war, yeah. there was a dirty trick. They tricked these, you know, it was a whole trick. And we come up, and they they'd seen a white flag a, a day earlier, but that was probably just a normal Japanese flag, you know, wasn't un, wasn't furled, unfurled totally. And they yeah. thought the Japanese were going to surrender, and it's a deceitful trick, you know. They butchered these poor guys, and and the Guadalcanal book and the Guadalcanal um, this movie further set the stage and and and, and push the Americans' um, attitude toward no prisoners, the Japanese are deceitful, you know, kill all the Japanese when you see them because they will trick you. That in conjunction, mm. conjunction with, a, you know, a number of days later with the Battle of Alligator Creek, where they seen how the Japanese wouldn't surrender and they'd fake surrender and they'd blow themselves up. They'd send the corpsmen out to, to help them and they'd blow themselves up and kill the corpsmen. They, and between... Yeah. And that's when Vandergrift, the division commander, said, these guys don't surrender. I've never seen anything like this. They, they don't surrender. They'll die to the man, and they're tricky. So those two incidents set the state's risk of the, the war. But to go back to the, the question, how accurate it was. So when those guys moved in, they got shot. They moved back real quick. And, and Frank Few, I've actually spoken to his grandson. His grandson lives in Australia. And Frank Few was one of the, survivors for the Getchy Patrol. There was three. In the movie, there's only one. There's three in reality. Right. Frank Few, Adrian Quinn, or Anthony, sorry, Anthony Quinn is playing the part of Frank Few. So he represents what Frank Few went through. And Frank Few, he was initially went up with Getchy and he went Getchy down. So he's crawled back up and he could feel it was Getchy because he could feel his Colonel Eagles on his collar. So I think mm -hmm. he took his Colonel mm -hmm. Eagles and his dog tag so the Japanese wouldn't know who they had. And then, then on his way out, the Japanese come up with a knife and try to stab him. He had a, a rising gun, which the old rusty gun, it never worked, and it jammed on him. And he had a pistol, and he ended up stabbing him. And just like in the movie, he took the uh, bayonet off the Japanese, stabbed the Japanese with his own weapon, took a pistol and the forty five, and he, he killed another Japanese. And he made his way back. So they were pinned down on that beach. And they started, and that was very accurate too. They started digging into the sand as best they can, and all okay. through the night they were picked off and, and killed. And then when daylight came, and it showed in the movie, when daylight came, there were three left. And um, mm -hmm. and and at that stage, through the night, the first guy they sent into the surf, he made it back. He swam all the way back. His name was Art A R D N T, and he made it always back. They sent another one. He ran down the beach and was killed, just like in the in the movie. And then, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then um, they sent another. So they sent three back during the night. Two made it back. One died. So in the morning time come, there was three left. That was Frank Few, which was Anthony Quinn played. There was a captain. And there was another guy. 
And just like in the movie, um, when the morning time come, they said, let's make a, a run for it. So they took off running. They were shot down. And Anthony Quinn was the only, or Anthony Quinn in the movie, but in, in reality, it's Frank Few in the, So that's very accurate there. And, and he run, he swims out, and then it's the famous scene where he looks back. And just like in, in he, he um, relayed that story to Trugascus, um, mm-hmm. who wrote the book, that he looked back, you could see the, the bayonets and the swords flashing in the sun as they cutting up the, the Marines on the beach. And they did that. In, oh, in, in reality, yeah. they, 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 they butchered the Marines. They cut them in pieces. Uh, the Marines went back two days later to, and, you know, and there was you know, heads, Marine heads on poles at the map of Mechanical. They were just, yeah. they butchered them. They butchered them. But the Marines replicated yeah, it too. And there was another point in the movie or, or in a campaign where there was uh, Japanese heads on poles to, um, as a bit of a payback at the Mechanical River. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's very it's, brutal. It's very brutal. Yeah. I've but, heard about stuff like that. Um, however, like, so in the movie though, when they're initially, you know, fired upon, they the Japanese guy gets hit by his own fire basically and falls down. But in reality, they sh- they shot him in the back of the head. Yeah, or shot him inside the head. He shot he shot him as soon as as soon as the shots come down. The sergeant that was leading killed the Japanese right off the bat. Japanese warned wow. him, shot him right out of hand. He goes, "Oh, this he's tricked us or whatever." Yeah. But you know, yep, we, ain't, exactly. we, ain't, we ain't playing this game. He, he thought we just take this guy out right now, which is fair. Yeah, it's amazing you know? how that story, like you said, just disseminated through the core and through the public, you know, knowledge, and then you get these. You know, like in the show in the Pacific, you get guys that would take gold fucking teeth out of Japanese soldiers' mouths and stuff. I mean, it's just from the very beginning, it was just due to misunderstandings and things. It was very brutal, you know, and that's fascinating about the tank lighter. I didn't know that part of the story. Yeah, the tank lighter. That's what they're in. They were a tank, one tank lighter. And that that was hung up on a sandbar. And if you go onto my my Facebook site and also my my, uh, YouTube site, I've got a episode just on Getchy. And it's got then and now photos. What the place looks like um, then, what it looks like now. We've got I've got aerial photos of it, you know, a days before and a few days afterwards. And you can see where the sandbar was, and it was a village. It was a Matanical village. It was a pre-war village because there's no one living there other than a few um, Melanesian uh, villagers. I think it's 20, 20 huts in this village, and that's where they landed. And today, it's, mm-hmm. and and those guys are still missing, still missing. Never been found. There's been a few expeditions go after them, but. In the, in the Guadalcanal Diary movie, um, that's probably the most famous scene. It's one that always gets replicated throughout, you know, the shows the Marines on the beach uh, with the Getchy Patrol. And in 1943, you know, we said this is a propaganda film, and that helped um, show the deceitfulness that they thought the Japanese and how, how tricky and you don't trust them and you just kill them to the man, and that set the stage. Yeah. Um, and that was 43. Well, well, you know. See, you know, seeing this film in the theaters and then three weeks, four weeks later is just beat Tarawa, you know, and beaches of dead Marines. It just, it, it, you know, if you saw that and then you got drafted or you went to the Corps in, in early 44, I mean, that had to have a huge effect on you on top of the wartime propaganda and everything mm-hmm. else. I mean, like, you know, it just, it's interesting to see where this, the vulgarity came from, you know, it wasn't just like, I'm a 17 year old that got to Pavuvu and now I want to do this. It's like, no, it was a long line of just, hearing these stories and hearsay and stuff that just really primed these guys for that. Can you remember the, in, in, in Eugene Sledge's book, you know, with the Obrey, he mentions the Getchy Patrol. He said when he was in basic boot camp, they told the story <laughs> about the Getchy Patrol and how deceitful the Japanese are. And it almost said this movie helped um, reinforce that, that across the so board. So one thing I really liked about this, and again, 43, we got to think about America at the time and stuff, is they did a lot to like include everybody in the story. Like they had some natives, 
you know i know they used to call yeah solomon natives yeah yeah that was uh pretty cool to see and the one guy even was like look at their hair you know we should start a mattress factory <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah you know because yep. that, that was a big thing they literally would nickname them fuzzy wuzzies because of their hair in in new guinea solomon's everywhere so that was really cool to see um having an african-american navy guy too was really neat i thought that was cool when they, he pointed out the whole fleet and everything yep. again it's wartime you want to have the union and stuff but it's it's nice that they did that and lastly it's cool that they had an australian because i know that there was an australian that they had as a liaison who had a plantation before they invaded that you know mm-hmm. prep briefed them about everything they had the one really bad map it was like you know all these horrible things that you, you know there's kunai grass you're gonna die in, and then reality was not real at all but um it was i thought it was really cool and a good touch you know because it's it's not just Americans invading a, a Jap island. It's like you have a lot of these things that you don't get later in the campaigns of the Pacific, you know? So it's, it's very cool, especially for 43. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, just, you know, it's for, for being Southern California, not too bad for doubling for uh, Guadalcanal, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, they had it right. I mean, especially the uh, the plantain or the coconut trees, spot on. Yeah. We mentioned that the, the rose that was really cool. Yeah, the that was like the, the Levi brothers. That was all the plantations they had there, like Alligator Creek and stuff. Yeah, yeah. They were so, all road, right? Yeah, and also showed it when they're going through the Japanese camps. You know, the the buildings looked right. So mm. they they went straight by the book. I mean, Trugaski. If you read Guadalcanal Diary, the book. I mean, they they followed the book along quite well. And right, yeah, and they had some. Obviously, the the main technical advisor had just come off Guadalcanal. Uh, it was nice seeing a, a large abundance of holly liners. I noticed that. You know? Oh yeah, that was that was holly awesome. Line, holly liners and masks. That was cool. Yeah, it was yep. neat. I saw a rising in there too. I mean, they did uh, a, a couple lot of risings. Cool there were the yeah, M55 ones. Couple, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. I liked when they were on the troop ship and they were the guys are going to bed and all the, the O3s are hanging and then there's one rising yep. hanging. And you see the rising. Was, yep. The profile yep. was pretty cool. So. Yep. Just that that hooded sight on that Thompson, I don't get that. That's just a weird. Yeah. Thing. So yeah. Um. So I, during the war for propaganda and for films and stuff, they did doctor up a lot of weapons, and some of these things did exist after the war. Uh. So it could have been one of these guns that was made for like to be a Nazi gun, you know, because they're trying to mm. replicate an MP40. No, but it was an American shooting it. It was an American. It was an American. I know, but I'm saying that just the gun was just a prop that was used for yeah. production. They were just like, like hey, you need a Thompson. Yeah. yeah nobody yeah. cared because like later, like, if you look at Kelly's Heroes. They had all these weapons, like Thompson's. They had yeah, but that's, that's in the seventies, dude. That's not that's no, not nineteen forty three. Yeah, but they have this uh, reinforcement on the front of the forend, and it's like what no, I, I know that, but like in, in forty three, like, they got all they got all the other gear like really right yeah. because it was mm-hmm. so fresh. Um, but like that 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 yeah that 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 front yeah, sight sixteen inch bayonets. I did see some guys with, with Garands though. Uh, it was funny. There was some Marines that were, they were like walking back from the Battle of Matinacow. Yeah, Garands. They all have O3s. And the last group of guys has Garands. Because that'd be the extras. Yeah. I've seen that too. That's, that'd be yeah. the extras. You know, the extras. That would be real Marines. The guys in the background yeah. with those Garands, that'd be obviously mm-hmm. real Marines at the time. So There are a lot of, there are a couple things that seem like that's like the, the, like the, the Orlicon crews on the boats. Like mm-hmm. said, those are probably all real guys. Like you see like the talker helmets and everything. Yep. The, those are probably real guys. Those probably weren't actors. So it was interesting too on the ship that officers wore life belts, but the I noticed that yeah, those, wore those life belts. Yeah, it was interesting. There was like a juxtaposition between you know that. Yep. This wartime poster is fucking phenomenal. 
Oh, the it's up for Guadalcanal Dire, where the oh Japanese guy's oh. picking him up. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. The dude's picking up the Japanese guy over his head. It looks like he's about to like snap him over his neck. Well, yeah. Nate, do you want to share your screen and do IMFDB, and then we can see the poster yeah. you're talking about? Yeah, well, in '43, another wartime film came out, Gung Ho, which is about the Marine Raiders on uh, on Macon, and it's funny to compare that to this because I think this is a much better film. <laughs> like, I love that poster. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Oh shit. <laughs> yeah. That's going on the uh, podcast. First. That's the, the <laughs> naval yeah. That's the naval officer from the from the patrol. <laughs> Get, yeah, switch out uh, the, the the guy who's who's lifting him up, switch out his head with like Brian's face or something. <laughs> <laughs> Brian's O face. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Brian's O face. Oh, oh, oh. So as always we're on IMFTB to take a look at the weapons used in the film. The nineteen eleven A1. Yep. Two World yep. Wars. <laughs> and there's the laborer. Yeah, there's a laborer right there. I like that scene when he just goes down. I thought it was it was well done. Because it's not bravado, like, shooting back. Right, no, no, no. Like, yeah, it's, Lu- it's, it's Luger fucking... standing, standing yeah. in for a Nambu. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, 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 no. Type, Dude, Type 94. Yep. You got to remember, too, were taken. there were Lugers on, um, Japanese had Lugers on Guadalcanal, Dutch Lugers. Mm-hmm. Had a number really? of Dutch Lugers. Because oh. a Japanese officer, I mean, I've seen, I've seen a lot of the weapons has been you know, found yeah. on Guadalcanal. And um, a lot of the Japanese officers at that stage could have their own personal weapon. So you got a lot of Smith and Wessons. You got, oh, you got, but there's a whole big bunch of Lugers that came in and they were all made, they were Dutch Lugers from the Dutch East Indies captured. The Japanese had a lot of captured weapons. Oh, shit, yes. They, they okay. used a lot of um, Thompsons okay. too. The Japanese did use Thompsons captured from the Marines and BARs from the Army and, and Garands. And there was a lot of- I've heard lot of, the Garands, yeah. Yeah, a lot of Thompson Japanese were using the Thompsons against the Marines, and apparently I'm trying to locate this, but there was a small group of the Cheeky um, detachment that had um, oh three or sorry um three oh three Lee Infields. That was New Britain. They had a lot of uh, Japanese IJA with actually oh threes or the sorry o- thousands. Uh, what do you call it? Uh, Enfields. You got to remember thousands and thousands were captured in Singapore, and they just disseminate. Yeah. Japanese were good for that. They disseminate um, <laughs> captured weapons. The whole unit, mm-hmm. especially when they captured thousands and thousands of them. So, yeah, there were Lugers there. I don't know about. Okay. Obviously. What was the strain? What was the strangest gun that you know was found on the island or came off the island? Because I saw a post from you a while ago. You, you, you went somewhere and there was like a trench shotgun somewhere that was really neat. It was oh yeah yeah. A few years ago, guy tried and... to sell me one. It was found. That that was that, oh, that was really? a Win- <laughs> that was a Winchester yeah Winchester Model Twelve. So that's that was a standard Marine issued. Um. Mm-hmm. Yeah, weirdest. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, uh, there was pre-colonial days. It was a, a three-band infield, but I don't know if it was used. I think it was <laughs> part of the colonial um, guys then, yeah. but I don't think it was used during the war um, mm-hmm. from the Japanese for the Japanese. What did the Coast Watchers use? Um, if the, I know that like there was the scouts and stuff that were on the island. They used three threes at the time. Yeah, they yeah, use they, they used the, the yeah the Webley Webley pistols and the the three o threes, the British three o threes. Interesting. Yeah, it's, it's crazy what yeah. made it to the island. You know things you don't think. Well, clearly this the, the whoever made this page also assumed that it was standing in for a name. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Um, Which makes sense. I could see it. Yeah, I, yeah. I that's what I thought initially. Mm-hmm. They probably did. I, I, I didn't know that. Yeah, if they actually had Luger's PO8s. Oh yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah, they did the same thing with the um, standing in for MP18s, MB28s, and Type 100s. Yeah, type 100. Yeah. They captured yeah. a few in China too. 
some of these guys that come from China, because you got to remember the Chinese were the Germans gave them a lot of weapons and they were had advisors yep. in the 30s. That's why you see, you know, the, the German helmets with them and things like that. Yeah, it's good seeing the twenty round magazines. Though I didn't see a thirty yes, round magazine. that was at all. that yeah, was yeah. really good. That One was good part, touch. I think, being mm -hmm. a former Marine, when you got this part, go go back up where you were there in the wardroom. These two officers, when he's cleaning mm -hmm. his Thompson, that kind of, you know, the old Marine NCO in me kind of like had my skin crawl when he takes that Thompson and just throws it on the on the rack or on the bed. <laughs> he cleans, just throws it down. I'm like, no, Marine, Marines not gonna throw the weapons around like that. I thought, like, what are you doing? That's because that was shot in soundstage, and there was nobody to tell him not to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, he's, a, he's an actor to too. Actor. An actor. If he was, yeah, know, if he was a being a Marine. Yeah. All, also, us, us Army, you know, us, us fucking puny Army infantry guys don't do that either. So. <laughs> well, no, yeah, no, no one's gonna throw the weapon around like that, you know. No, no, you just, you set it down in, yeah. a, in a very secure place, yes. When it might go off, and two, you don't want to break it. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, so, yeah. Oh, oh, oh go back, go back, really, really quick. Oh, it's a 20-rounder. I, I was going to be like, mm -hmm. oh, I found a 30-rounder, but no, yeah, that's 20. Yeah. But, you know, it, you know I was, in the I had my eye open. <laughs> in the very beginning, you know, when they're on the boats, they've taken the photos, obviously, from from the, the Marine Marines on the 7th of August when they're landing, you know, they had the buttons are yeah. button all the way to the top and, you know, all the, yeah. all the kits ready to go. So these, they just landed. Yeah. So they're all, the looking. gas mask was a great touch too. That was really neat. And they yep. carried their they're gas really masks throughout gas the whole campaign. Back. Believe wow. it or not. I had some friends, they just hosted that uh, Guadalcanal event watchtower in the United States. They had like 65 Marines that were dressed up. And I remember that was a big thing. They all had to have gas masks and, there's one scene where they're landing, the guy like plops down. I know he's a Marine or an extra, but his gas mask pops up and he's, you can see his name and his serial number painted on the <laughs> bottom of it. Nice. Okay, this is my favorite thing, is the Thompson with the magazine slotted into the tripod. <laughs> yeah. Like, that was hilarious. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a medium machine gun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. they're, and they're smiling too the whole time. Yep. Really so right. This is funny. If, so the, there were two ways to adapt Thompsons back then. And the easiest way to do it was they would drill a hole out of the front of the cuts compensator and just put a set screw in there. So if you look on all these movie used Thompsons for the war for later, the front hole in the comps is like fucking an inch. It's huge. And so you can see that in here. Yeah. You notice it with Thompson with 28s at least because they have the compensator on there. Yeah. You also notice that they're all firing uh well that that one's bolt open because that was full auto, but like the yep. a lot of them were firing semi auto and uh yeah, you could tell they well, were the sound closed. the sound effects were not great. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were like right on so, sound effects. Yeah. We'll, we'll just we don't I don't want to get into that that much, but the sound effects were not good. You see a thirty so. cal at one point and they go to the guy like pulls the trigger and it fires one blank. And then yeah. you hear like the thing going, yeah, yeah. And you're like, ah, well. And then the one, the Thompson that fires semi-automatic, you hear, right? Or you hear the the rifle, like the M1 sound from. That's the what Thompson. I'm saying. Like, like, like sometimes when they fire the Thompson, you hear like a semi-auto rifle. Oh yeah, sound. yeah. It's yeah. Like, what are we doing here? Like, okay. The Your ricey. sound guy probably had a little bit too much to drink that day, but like that's fine. <laughs> um, I didn't see any thing. of the M50 ones. I just saw the M55 ones. Yeah. See that that one's a short barrel right there. It doesn't have the long barrel on it. See the one. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Let's scroll down. No mm -hmm. Yeah, it doesn't have the. Yeah, I think they were all 55s. I don't think there was an M50. Oh no, that's that's a 50 right there. That's a 50. I can't even tell. Um, the way he's holding can. it. And the the barrel, like you can see, the barrel is short. Yeah, the barrel's short, just like the 55. No, but it's it's not a well. Okay. Yeah, the guy screwed up. They're both 55s because there's no cuts. Yeah, on. they're 55s. Mm -hmm. Here's oh, the same fuck. one. They probably had one for the whole movie. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
They had two. Those two guys had them in one scene. Oh, okay. So yeah. I love yeah, the rest, I love the silhouette. The rest of them have been thrown into the Lunga River. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As Edson said, throw them all to the river. There, I read a really good uh, paramarine book. I forget the, who wrote it, um, but he did one about the Raider Shoresai and then um, paramarines at, at Edson's Ridge. Um, I think it's called The Damned Lot or something, but he talks about how the guys found out that the biggest problem with the the rustings, as they call them, because they would rust, was that the magazine springs were really weak. And somebody in their unit found out that if you double up the magazine springs, that they would work perfectly and they had no problems. So they took, they basically got rid of half of the unit's guns and they made enough work. So there were guys that were using risings, like they were working fine on Edson's Ridge. Like after everybody was like, fucking throw it away. And so it's funny how some dudes did find out a way to make it work, but generally it was a piece of shit. So many guns like, that go- are pieces of shit. We were just talking about the G43 the other day. <laughs> also, right here, there's no you way to shut, tell if they're Mark You ones. shut your goddamn mouth. <laughs> yeah. Wunderbar is. weapon is wonderful. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So right. right here, there's actually no way to tell if these are Mark 1s. Uh, because the Mark 1s actually... Okay, so go, yeah. Side, yeah. Yeah, they cut out on the side. They're made for the Pedersen device, or Peterson, however the fuck you want to pronounce it, uh, in the First World War. They also used a shitload of O3s that were just, you know, whatever, not Mark 1s. I'd love to see them so. wear packs and not packs at times. You know, it was neat to see the how they're when they're Yeah, that, that was good. That was yep. good, yep. Because, like, it's the same as the First World War is, like, mm-hmm. you're not always going to be wearing packs. Okay, it's the O3A3, yeah. Not as bad they came out as in the... Uh, yeah, it's not as bad as the uh, the Pacific where the, all the Marines are using the, the A3 instead. Oh, yeah. On Guadalcanal, Guadalcanal, yeah. Guadalcanal, yeah. So, yeah. So, so, so let's discuss this for a second because go up, Nate. I'm sorry. Go up. Um, up a little bit farther, Dick. Like, what the fuck? I, I can't doing? read your goddamn mind. Why are you yelling at me for not scrolling <laughs> said, all the way fucking okay, okay. up? So, the O3A3, why the <laughs> fuck do they have the fucking Arasakas below that? Let's read this quick. I don't know. I don't. The, the guy who made this page, I don't think he did um, a thorough job. Is he not getting immigrants at the end of 42? U.S. Army soldiers and IJA soldiers use them as well. Okay. But the, I, I did not see a Type 38 or a Type 99 at I all in either. Japanese hands. No. And I was looking so, for them. So I was like... Yeah, me know. too. Me too. It was Craig. They were straight they were, bolt Mausers, if they're yeah. anything. Yeah. Well, there was one G98, and there were, the rest of them were Craigs. There were eight mm-hmm. Craigs. Well, whoever... Um, who, wrote mm-hmm. this, who wrote this article? I, that's so, what I want to know, yeah. Because right. you know, once, I, once again, I mentioned it said the L3A3 said wasn't issued to the Marines until, or sorry, the Grands wasn't issued to late 42. That's what I was mm-hmm. discussing at the first, the beginning, that, yeah, the Marines yeah. were getting the Grants, but not the Marine Infantry units. That's probably the, mm-hmm. just well, even, even, so, so, Dave, what do you think about the L3A3? Because it, it, it came out in 42, right? But as far as I know, time, a lot of the Rams... guys did have the L3A3. I have to double check that. Um, and see what they yeah, landed I, with on Guadalcanal. From, from what I remember is like the O three A three, that configuration didn't come out until forty two, like mid forty two, if I remember correctly. I could be wrong, but like I'm I think that's close enough. And so the Marines in Guadalcanal obviously had the O three, right? Right. Well they wouldn't have and the O if the A three, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and some of them would have had the A one, the O three A one, or the Mark One rather. I'm sorry the 03 Mark one. And then some actually, no, they would have had the a one. They could have because of the C stock, you know, that's basically what changed on the a one. Um, and I know there's a lot of people like they're listening to this are like, Oh, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. I'm, yes. I'm speaking in generalizations, but like I'm, I'm, I'm having a conversation here. Um, it's funny because so, that O three, a three on screen is in a straight stock. 
So I think that's wrong. It should be a C stock. No, 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 no. They, they, so, okay. The O3A3 had three kinds of stocks and it, there's no definitive date on when they all came out. They had the straight stock. They had the scant stock, which is kind of a semi-pistol grip, but it's not really, but it, it's weird. And they had the, the C stock, like the pistol grip stock. And they were all seen throughout the European theater specifically and the Pacific theater, but like nobody really knows exactly when they think they do. You know, like most historians are like, well, I'm just going to narrow it down to here because then I'm right. It's like, well, you don't actually. Yeah. I think, I think in 43, some of the A3s were used by Marine Corps units for like uh, uh, what a grenade launcher detail. Because when they're in the canal, they were still using the VV grenades from the First World War, the French style and everything. Oh yeah, and, yeah, uh, absolutely. Then, then they we switched to the like the other style with the the American whatever. They I think they got rid of the regular threes, but some had A threes. Um, well, from my from my understanding, on. and Dave, correct me if I'm wrong, is they came out with the uh, the M1, the U.S. rifle caliber 30 M1, the M1 Garand, and they started trying to produce those as fast as possible from Winchester, uh, fucking uh, Springfield. They tried to produce them as as fast as possible, but they could not meet demand. And they were like, well, we have to update the O3. And they took, they took feedback from guys in operation torch and in Guadalcanal in the South Pacific. And they were like, what can we do to make it better? Well, a rear aperture site, blah, 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 this and that. And they started producing the O3 a three in 42 uh, at the behest of like the feedback that they've gotten with the M one. And then, from what I know is they issued entire units later on in like for, late 43 and 44. This is kind of a, uh, an offshoot, but it's relevant. We'll come back to it. They started issuing entire units with the O3A3 because the M1 was more time-consuming to produce. And they were like, well, let's just give these guys O3A3s in whatever stock configuration, whatever. Marines, Army, fucking you name it. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, is that what your research has well, I know, I know the Marines infantry, uh, I think in early 43 to mid 43, all the Marine infantry regiments had been issued to M1 Garands. I know the 1st Marine Division, when they yeah. left Guadalcanal, they went to Australia. And then they started getting replenished with the um, Garands in early 43. And by the time they hit Cape Gloucester in late 43, they all had Garands. All the infantry units had Garands. So I, don't, I know it's some of the Army units. Like, army units I believe the third. I believe the third was the first unit to have Garands solely from beginning to end. Like, you know, the second and the first started with O3s, and at some point they did convert over to the Garand, you know, after the canal. Um, but the third to the sixth, they it was all, all Garands. Well, my grandfather yeah. was in the Seventh Corps in the U.S. Army in, in Europe, and he was in the Ordnance Company, uh, Ordnance Evacuation hmm. Company. He carried an O3. I've got photos of oh, him right, in Germany right. sitting yeah. on a bridge yeah. with an O3. Because, as you know, a lot of the support units had O3s in the U.S. Army. Yep. Yep, even and, and actually, M7. And he was no sniper. Oh, he was a sniper. No, he's a sniper. He's a well, you know, he drove. Brian, uh, most most of the M7 or the the Model 1917 rifles were actually given to like the Free French and the Brazilian units and shit like that. Uh, rear rear echelon uh, troops would be issued O3s more regularly than like you'd think, but also when it got to be like late '44 and shit, they were like, we have all these new. As far as army, I'm not talking about Marines. Um, they were like, we have all these new divisions and all these new guys going there. Let's just give them O threes or O three A threes. And so that's a, um, and what the fuck was I going to, I was just going to ask something. Um, or I'll just interject something. this quick. That's fascinating about the whole 
if you're a century, you need eight rounds. That makes so much sense for the doctrine of why they, you know, oh. outfitted those guys first compared to the infantrymen. And uh, it, it, to me, that really fills a, a picture for why the Grand, you know. Yes, and really it's out. funny. So, uh, Dave, you obviously know about New Guinea, right? In the because, like, I was in the thirty second division. Yeah, thirty like, second in Buna Gona. Yep. Yep. So I was actually in that unit, and um, so I know a lot about that history. Not as much as I should, and I'm always researching. But so they were in November of forty two. They were in New Guinea with brand new issued M ones. They had just turned in their O threes for M ones. And that's, you know, that's around the same time that Guadalcanal was going on, but the Marines started their O3s. And so that's why, like, you know, that time period is like, well, let's get as many guys who are fighting, actually fighting M1s. And um, that that's kind of why it's interesting. Another thing that I wanted to point out in this film, and I want to ask you about this, Dave, is because, okay, in the Pacific, when they're on Guadalcanal, they view the army as like lesser. They're like, oh, they're fucking whatever, retards, whatever, you know, shit. But in this film, they're like, oh, the army's here. Hey, man, how's it going? You know, you know, let, 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 you know, we're, we're brothers. Like, yeah, it's, it's not great here, but like, you guys are going to make it, you know? Um, in your research, how was that relationship in real life? Yeah, in real life, I mean, once again, you had inter service robberies back then as you do now. Yeah. They were t- they called the, the army doggies or dog faces and um, the Marines, especially the Marines at that stage, the average age of Marine was 19. Average age of U.S. Army uh, was 26 overall. Mm-hmm. So the Marines have always been the youngest branch. Um, um, and so when the army landed beforehand and Marines went through the basic training, they said, you're the best, you're the best. You know, the army's infantry is like yeah, below yeah. you and everything. So it had that preconceived uh, ideas and they never really worked with the army much. Um, even some of the NCOs, senior NCOs and officers had, I mean, they've been incorporating army division in, in World War One in the great war in the second division, as we discussed earlier. Yep. So they, you know, they worked co-mingled, co-mingled with each other. In fact, it was like Marine, Marine um, officers commanding army battalions and, and all kind of stuff. So they worked together before, but the Marines had that uh, con- concept in their head. So they had that, especially the young boots, the young guys, yep. the majority of the division was filled with guys less than six months. You know, they were the, the Pearl Harbor recruits, guys that joined right after Pearl Harbor. They mm-hmm. went to boot camp in January and come out in April and went into the units in April. And by August, they were hitting the beaches of Guadalcanal because they were supposed to train for six months before they could seen the further six months before they seen any combat. <laughs> um, but yeah, so to answer your question, the first U.S. Army uh, units that landed in Guadalcanal was the 164th infantry regiment they were part of their Marical division and they were garrison they were one of the garrison units that was sent out initially to garrison new caledonia and, and so they formed as you know they formed a division yep. Uh, yep. from those these loose uh, regiments it was there and the 164th were the first guys they sent in the 164th uh really earned their spurs in the battle of um, um um henderson field in October the 24th to the 27th. And that was, you know, the famous incident where Barcelona was there. And they put Marine one Marine in with a hole with the Army guy, and, and they and it co-mingled them. So after that, it became a reputation. The 164th uh, referred to themselves as the 164th Marines. So they had a, that was good. The first Army unit they sent in there was these guys, and they formed a good reputation. And and Puller, even Chesty Puller, the, the famous Marine, said these, these farm boys can fight because they're all from – uh, South Dakota, yeah. North Dakota National Guard guys. And he mm-hmm. says, mm-hmm. I will take any of these guys any day. 
So that was good that the first unit they sent in. But then the some other Army units, like the 182nd, didn't do too well there. And they actually turned and ran in one stage, and they kind of pissed off the 164th because 164th they've been fighting hard in Metanical, and they sent the poor 182nd. They're only there for a week, their first combat, and Japanese did a counterattack, and the whole battalion almost ran. And the 164th had just pulled out of the line, and they were so pissed off at the 182nd, so they moved them back in. But um, the you know had to take over their stuff. But generally, yeah, I think in the movie that relationship at the end when it says all oh, the armies here the good guys probably reflects on the 164th the 164th did a lot of uh, good work yeah the america guys yeah the america yeah. the 164th and they consider and in fact the 164 veterans always wore the the first marine division um combat patch <laughs> because they were part of the first marine Division. when they first initially landed there there was no army units there no army division so they they incorporated they became part of the first marine division there was another regiment in the first marine division the 164th and then, then obviously right. the 25th landed when the 25th ID landed in the infantry division yep. landed in December. They replaced the first Marine division. And they yep. were the first regulars, you know, the Army regulars to land. They were the 25th division from Hawaii, and they they landed. Yep. And they kind of looked down upon the National Guard guys, even though they had a they had a National Guard unit with them, the 161st, and they were considered like the redheaded stepchildren. You know, you had a 35th. Well, National Guard is always looked down. It's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's nothing very, changed. It's fascinating. The very early campaigns of the Pacific are very much National Guard units. Like I know they sent one to Timor that basically got to the harbor and surrendered. It's fascinating how like it was, you know, Marines and National Guard. And like you said, the 25th didn't get there until very late in 42. But I have a good memoir called uh, Cross the Dark Islands, I think is a guy from the 182nd. Uh, oh, yeah. And uh, he talks about just the, the difference between the regular guys and the National Guard and how the National Guard guys like because a lot of guys joined it in the 30s to, to, to live, to get money. To, to, yeah, and like just they were so naive. And just a lot of guys walked into their deaths. I mean, there's a great part of that where he talks about like his lieutenant playing around with the Thompson. Like, oh, we'll hunt the nips. And then he walked into the bush and then like they all, you know, this whole command element got fucking massacred. And it's just they really played into that. Oh, they're monkeys. We're going to, you know, the real that. And it's it's sad in a way. So okay, yeah, I guess I guess my question was, and you answered it, um, is like, what do you think, in your opinion, your professional opinion, is more accurate, the interaction that was in the Pacific, the series, or in this film? I think because I, I think would they be the same unit? Like it'd be the Americal because in the Pacific, it seems to me like it was very early on, and it was like. They encountered these guys and whatever, but like, yeah, so I guess that's what that's I my think question. in the Pacific, they wanted to, you know, that's made years, you know, 40, 50 years later, six, seven, sorry, 70, 80 years later. Well, how I many, you, you yep. 70 something years later, 60 years later. Oh, but, yeah. Yep. But yep. they, um, I think they wanted to, in the Pacific show the real animosity between them, you know, the we thought we were the right. hot shit, the Marines and the Army. I think they wanted to try to portray that, but that then. They didn't really go on deeper. That was how they initially portrayed the army when they first landed. Then they actually fought with them, especially the 164th. Yeah. They go, yeah, these yeah, guys exactly. are just like us and they can fight. So, But they didn't really portray that. I think it was in, in the Pacific series, they wanted to show the big thing about, you know, how we're stealing their guns and stealing their food. And we've been here and the army's here finally arrived. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. I think yeah, they want yeah, to build yeah, that yeah. up just to make this scene that they're stealing their supplies and stealing the stuff in the army to give it more, um, I guess, power. But, right. but they didn't yeah. show the lighter on when 
you know, and Lecky even mentions in his book, you know, how they got to really respect the army guys, especially the, the one sixty fourth. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, and I, yeah, I think that, better, better so betrayal that, uh, in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. I'll just, I'll just really quickly for about two seconds, I'll bring it back to modern day. And I'm sure you experienced this too, Dave is when we were in theater, when we were in Iraq, there was none of that. Like you get the animosity. Okay. Yeah. Your Marines were national guard, your air force, your Navy, who gives a fuck. When you're in theater, that shit goes away a lot. And you're just like, Hey man, good to see ya." You know, like it's like, you know, you get along and you're like, whatever. And especially in Guadalcanal, I'm trying to like try to conceptualize like the relationship. These guys, this, these Marines have been in combat for a long time. The army comes in. Yes, they've been in combat too, but it's like, I don't see like where the animosity comes through in later works, but I, I like the way it was portrayed in this film. So it, can you get what I'm saying? And also like, too, I mean, you got to remember, we, we discussed it before. This was made during the war. So we wanted to yes. to make everyone oh, think yeah, we're working together yep. and it's, you know, they're not going to portray yep. one or the other because you go, hold on a minute. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, that, that doesn't look good in the public eye that you guys are fighting with each other. I mean, right, obviously there right, was animosity right. back and forth, but what are you saying too? Once you're on the ground, you know, you're working together, you got to work together. I mean, look at the Cactus Air Force. Cactus Air Force was a great example of how guys had to work together. You had everyone in there mm-hmm. uh, working together and they had to throw the, their animosity to the side because they said, well, we either work together or work apart. And, you know, we got to work as a team here. We are. Right. So yeah, that, 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 that answers my question. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's uh, yep. It does. So excellent. Um, and I'll just okay. add this. If you want to read a really good book from, I think, 164th member, uh, Shots Fired in Anger. It's a really good memoir. And he's all over uh, the campaign and everything. And I think he ends up on Mount Austin. At one Especially one about weapons. He loves, yes, George, George he, loves oh, his weapons. He, he was did. an NRA guy. And he wrote mm. a, the, the middle of the book because he later on, he joined Merrill's Marauders and he actually got evacuated because of some tropical disease. I forget which. Um, They're going to throw this into IMFDB. <laughs> they do that sometimes. Yeah, an A M two. Yeah, we know yeah. they were on the fucking planes. Yes. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Bar- uh, barely saw this thing. I saw it like on a carriage being dragged right. around at one point. Yeah, oh, it was the hand cart. Yeah, it was in the final push. But it's like it's good to have yeah, the, the hand carts in there. They had the hand carts there. Yeah, the next yeah, there it is right hand carts. Yeah, well, like so, so thing. Dave, like the Marines would have had these fucking nineteen seventeens and Guadalcanal. Oh yeah. But Barcelona never yeah, fired so. one from the hip. I'll tell you that right now. It's just a, one of those fallacies. Oh, that's a legend? Yeah, he never that's, fired that's from the hip. I guarantee it. I've got, uh, that was one of the things I've been researching for about four years. And I got my whole big brief of evidence. And um, he never fired it from the hip. I mean, I've got Barcelona's yeah. statements and stuff he gave for his Medal of Honor. And he's gave to these Marine officers. He, and I got it all. He, he, he had he it on a tripod. Yeah, he, he took Yeah, the, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He took it, what we worked out, he's, he's placed an M17 on an M19 tripod to give it a lower profile. And he says when he's moving from his one hole to the other, he throws it all on his back, spread eagle. Oh. Um, it was on a tripod. Because he's a, a professional machine gunner is not going to be running around without a tripod. Because how are you going to fire that weapon without a tripod? You're not going to fire it from a log like the Pacific movie uh, series. Have. You're not going to fire it from your hip. So he no. had it. He had it mounted on his. He had it mounted on a tripod. So he said the so tripod and the weapon weighed hundred pounds. So we had to run from thirty meters from one hole to thirty meters the other hole. Would you have to? Would you have to run with that barrel pointed down then? Because if you ran it with a TD on it, up. you could lock it, kind of. But yeah, he yeah, put it back with, with barrel, a, yeah, yeah, the barrel pointed down. 
Yeah, because if you ran it with barrel pulling up, you'd have the you'd have the whole back end digging into you as you would run. So barrel point down probably the best way to do. And he also had the water can too on it. He so would he have didn't actually the water can hand. and the fucking. I don't know if he had a water That's can. That's such a fascinating story. That's so much cooler than what they thought. And 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 how he burned his arms because he had thirty or I don't he didn't have third degree burns. He had second degree burns. You know, he's, you know, mm-hmm. he fired it from here and that's how he burned his arms. You know how he burned his arms when he was picking it up. He picked it up to hop it that. over, yeah. Because he had the tripod yeah. underneath, so he picked the whole thing up to move it that way. And well, when as he was moving it, probably fucking yeah, burned his arms. Yeah. That's how he burned yeah. his arms. He, he mentions yeah. it. He's, he's in his statement. He says this is how I did it. But then obviously legends, you know, uh, oh, stories oh, oh, gets retold. Trust, trust us, we we uh we, we, we got know. into the Sergeant York oh, legend. Yeah. He gets uh, blown out in this movie. Yeah, then he gets inter- yeah, so, a reporter. Yeah. He says, "I don't sound good. I'll just add a few things to it." And then he gets retold and retold and retold. But when he when he fires it. If he does, if he does fire it ever, he's going to fire it from a tripod at one stage. But he, when he said he got there in his hole, in his right hole, when it had been taken out, he and he rolled into the bunker, and he said that they told him the guns were busted. That's what he said. Um, I know I'm getting a bit off track, but he um he said he had to clear no, the good. stoppage. And they said, how'd you clear your stop? What was the stoppage? He said that was a, a ruptured shell. And they said, and, and they asked him these detailed questions, these two Marine officers. They said, well, how long did it take? He said, well, less than a minute. So in the Pacific series, they got that right where he goes under the knife and he hits it and right. you can see the boat go home. And then he starts firing it. And what he would do, he had one in a bunker, then the gun he brought over on the tripod, he laid it in the flat right beside the bunker. And he would roll back and forth. And it was two feet between the guns. And he would load it himself and fire it himself. He had three guys on both sides providing cover and fire. And he took his forty-five. he said, and he laid it on the ground beside him. And and every once, and because Japanese were flying through every once in a while, mm-hmm. and one would come to the back of his bunker, and he's in an enclosed log bunker. He's not, in, in a movie they made it open, I guess you could see his face and everything, but in, in reality it was mm-hmm. in a bunker. And he said he'd turn around and shoot the Japanese behind him. And they said, well, how many how many rounds did you shoot out of your pistol? He says, I had two left at the end of the day. So he didn't fire that many rounds out. But he goes in very much detail. And this whole part in a movie where he runs out and he moves bodies or he gets someone to run out and move bodies, that's all bullshit too because you think about it, a, a professional machine gunner, you know, these guys are hitting the fence at a four foot um, tall barbed wire fence and they're, they're, they're stacking up on the fence, the bodies mm-hmm. are. And yeah, he's clear, he's filled with fire, he's, he can't see. But what Basson said, he kept moving his gun that he had on a tripod, moving it around so, yeah, of course you're not going to run out in the middle of all these dead Japanese and wounded Japanese and potentially Japanese running at yeah. you, and you're not going to run out there by yourself. What are you going to do? You're going to move your gun around. You know, oh, I can't see clear field of fire. I'll just move my gun, you know, one foot here, one foot, two foot to left and right. And that's what he did. He'd move wow. his gun around. That makes a lot more sense. Wow. That would, I mean, like, it's funny because, you know, yeah, yeah. The, 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 I mean, in the show that in the in the Pacific, they make it you know like fucking crazy and stuff like that. But like, that's just as crazy as like picking that thing up like that. I mean, that thing was so fucking heavy. But it looks cool if you yeah, fired it from the uh, hill. I mean, hell, was a statue yeah. of him and guys running around. There's one marine that did. Is is um I know we're getting way off track, but that was Mitchell Page. No, that's fine. The picture Page in the next night, he he earned a medal of honor, and Page did pick the gun up and fire it from the hill, run down the hill, and he burned his arms doing that. It it it. I, it, it 
it is probably it's probably it's a, it's a heavy son of a bitch when it's all put together on like the 1917 tripods as well because i've done that pounds, in world war one reenactments running up and down a trench with that whole thing loaded and i think i was the only one of the saw who could actually lift it up with the gun still attached to the site and be as big as i am like i'm not fat but i'm not like skinny body like i got a big broad shoulder so i was able to pop that thing on but even that almost killed me you know it's like uh i can't even imagine doing that with with even the 1919 tripod. tripods even though it's lighter it's like still like being it's a heavy fu- it's a heavy motherfucker yeah you know it's 100 pounds i, I think with a tripod I'm glad that you brought up uh, Paige because you know I've I probably watched all your videos and uh, there's something you said that has always stuck with me and uh, if I remember correctly it's that the three Medal of Honors that were won on the canal were all by machine gunners five and it kind of shows sorry there's five the five, five enlisted Medal of Honors mm-hmm. won on land all five were uh, machine gunners and that just really goes to show oh. the nature of the battle where it was really just like a defensive you know mm. just conflict campaign you know until obviously they later on um defensive and stuff but you also have photos on your website and stuff where you can see the whole perimeter the whole campaign from the top of mount austin you know it was incredibly small and uh people don't really realize that you know yeah and and and, and, you know machine guns like so people I guess people have a weird fascination with them because they're cool and whatever. But like to actually be a, a proficient and like like Dave was saying, a professional machine gunner, there's so much that's involved you have to know. And you have to do it lickety split. And it's very hard. And these guys, they had been trained from the experiences of the guys in the First World War. And then they adapted all that training, just like kind of we did with like I was trained by guys that were doing Vietnam tactics basically. And you adapt that into modern tactics. And these guys pick it up a tripod, 1919 tripod with a, a 1917 on it, blah, blah, blah. That's something that it's not trained. It's not in the books. You just do it. Cause you've got this adrenaline. You're like, I'm going to fucking die. If I don't do this. And my, my, my boys are going to die too. Like my friends are going to die. And so you just do it. And then all of a sudden that becomes the standard. Like, Hey, you can do this, you know, like this is, this is how we did it. And this is what worked. Uh, it's very interesting. Like that all five, uh, medals of honor on Guadalcanal are machine gunners. Yep. Very interesting. Three, three Marines and two army. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's a very, it's a very interesting, um, job to have in the military. 1919, of course. Yep. Speaking yep, of, here we go. Yeah, so we're going back on IMFDB. Yeah, All right. 1919. A4. Well, that's not. Yeah, it is an A4. Yeah, never mind. My bad. Go. Yep. Um, I saw there. The, I don't. I, I don't think they listed it on IMDb, but there's one where it looked like an aircraft variant with the long vent holes on it. Hmm. Um, so oh, yeah. like the striker. Yeah. The, later on in the war. Yeah. So. Uh, uh, no. I think it's a scene where they only fire bl- one blank. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. It's it's one of those. Yeah. <laughs> Stuart Stuart, tanks. Yeah. They have Stuart tanks on Guadalcanal? Oh, yeah. But yeah. they, they were, look cooler because they had white bands around the turrets and stuff. Oh, nice. First Provisional Marine? Or, I'm not sure exactly. No, First Battalion. They them, first, oh, yeah. first Tank Battalion. Yeah. They, they used them on the uh, the Alligator, at Alligator Creek to clear out that um, whole uh, pocket of Japs, was, I believe. Was that... Now, now, this tank just jogs my memory, and this is, I guess, be the question I asked Dave. Is 
Is that 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 last scene of them pushing that hard <laughs> and them all getting pushed into the water like some kind of like cockroaches? That's not real. No, it? no, and I I've written, that was one of the things I wrote down. I go, no, that's it looks cool to him because I think they Hollywooded that right. one quite a bit, you know, right, the yeah. Yeah. But that never happened. That never pushed them. And okay. the only thing. Um, you know, like I think Brian would just said that Bell Alligator Creek was any time close to that, but that was just yeah, they didn't push. Them. I assumed I assumed watching that because I because I I never stated in the beginning because I wasn't here, but like I I don't know that much about Guadalcanal. I don't really know much that that much about the Pacific, only than the basic island hopping campaign knowledge, and so and so it's it's going into that I saw that and I was like that smells like Hollywood <laughs> I just wanted to double check on that okay that's correct um cool the Lewis um, oh I was correct Woo! The yeah you were correct yeah. yeah um yeah they're really cool I still want the World War One one though really badly there, there's a type 92 like the one Brian was talking about right there yeah, it, yeah. it's close yeah, it's, yeah. it's very it's close but yeah but the they were using they were using the fucking Lewis like with the, the yeah Lewis, so. oh oh yeah for sure but there was a Japanese Lewis yes so. for sure yep so the tripod's really cool it, like he's got this thing that extends up for anti-air and then for ground and it's, it's pretty complicated for what it is Yeah, in the cave, and then I saw the M1 mortars uh, from a mile away. Yeah, the Japanese were using them too. And the mortar explosions too. You know, they're very, um, very big for big mortar explosions. (laughs) Oh yeah, yes, (laughs) definitely a sixty mil. And then the uh, naval gunfire. You know, when they were coming in, that was a bit danger close, and it would never be that close. It would just all all over the place. But look cool. Yeah. <laughs> I, I loved, loved when they, they had the bombing formations because you always hear about in the memoirs the V formations that would fly over. Yep. And it was yellow. cool. I had the, the three Vs. And, it also, and what was what was good about the bombing too, I've written down it's oh, called Yeah, you're right, Mike. It, it Tojo yeah. time that they'd fly over and they said this is around lunchtime, so that was very um accurate because that's when the Japanese are flying from a bow. That's it took them that long to, to um, bomb. So every day around lunchtime. Yeah. There's there's a TNT, night, yeah. Yeah. Cause at night, um, they would talk about washing machine Charlie and Louis the Louse. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. So I was going to ask, I just read a memoir and they talked about Louis the Louse. And apparently that was a naval gunfire ship or gunfire plane that would launch flares at certain places and they would have naval fire at night. Is that yeah. true? Well, Louis the Louse oh, was, it, it kind of worked in conjunction with washing machine Charlie. A lot of times it got the same names, but one would drop mm-hmm. a flare and the other would drop bombs. Hmm. It's just um, harassment and interdiction. Every night, yep. and then at night, the 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 Tojo Express or the Rat Runs, the Japanese call it, when they, the fast destroyers would drop off the supplies, and on the way out, they'd fire a number of uh, five inches into the Lunga perimeter on the Marines and book out. So it was every night. Mm. They call it the Rat Race. Oh, uh, Rat Runs. Japanese call them Rat Runs, whatever it is in Japanese, huh. but the Marines call it Tokyo Express. Japanese call it the Rat Run. <laughs> Interesting. Huh. Yeah. That was the, the destroyer yeah. that had the. Yeah, the fast destroyers. Yeah, and the Marines. You know, in this whole thing about fallacy, oh, you know, poor Marines. You know, the Navy left them and they didn't get resupplied. You know, until six weeks or two months later, the big resupply came with the Seventh Marines <laughs> on the seventeenth of September. But you know, less than a week later, a little the the, the fast destroyers. The U.S. had fast destroyers. In fact, the CUB one, which is the aircraft guys. The, the ground crewmen and some bombs and aviation, you know, the first guys that landed probably a week later on fast destroyers, they landed those guys. And then they started landing in um, supplies um, after that. And then once the airfield got up and running, the cargo planes would land every day and drop supplies off and take wounded out. 
So they weren't as bad as you know they, is portrayed to be. They did get resupplied. They were they've put them on um, half rations just to keep it's, it going. It's kind of like in the sense of the, the siege of Bastogne, where they're like it was so horrible and everything, and it's like well yeah it was really bad, but it's like it's not as bad as it's really portrayed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's how most things are. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, they missed one of the machine guns on uh, IMFDB. There was a, a water-cooled Browning uh, M2 at the base. Uh, oh, I, I noticed that. With a, yeah, oh, with they a missed tombstone, that. Yeah. Tombstone magazine, yeah, they missed that one. That's, I thought it was so cool because those are very rare, so that's why. Yeah, yeah. they're very early too, yeah. Dave, um, do, you, do they know what plane washing machine Charlie was in or Louis de Laos? Yeah, it was a float plane. Whatever. Oh, it was a Japanese so the, the float, zero plane. float plane. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know huh. what, which, which version it was, but it's definitely a float plane. So the floats are probably what made it have that strange sound then. Or at yeah. Least guys would and about. apparently huh. it was, it was rigged that way. I don't know if that's true or not. So it, uh, the, the, it would have a different sync and out of sync. So it makes a lot of noise. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's just huh. what the, what they were saying. Makes sense too, to keep them awake. Yeah. Huh. Or that maybe they have different pitches on the propellers or something. Yeah, or probably. Something like that. Huh. That's interesting. Uh, I think we made it to the end of IMFTB, though. Yep. Yes, that is the end of it. That's wrapped up. Cool. Um, so any final uh, things to bring up before we go to closing thoughts? Or I think I got through all my notes. Dave, anything you want to bring up? Or... Um, yeah, the unit they, they were actually depicting, and we discussed at the very beginning, was the 5th Marines, 5th Marine Regiment. Oh, because there's a few points in there they mentioned they are the fifth Marines, and that makes mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense on on the guys because they're the first ones to to jump over the boat. First time fifth Marines, the first guys to land uh, on Guadalcanal. Then they were the first guys to go through the airfields or the Japanese camps, and mm-hmm. it, that was depicted there. Then the fifth Marines was the ones that they picked off to go to the Getty Patrol. So I I worked oh. out because I said which unit is this, and then one of them mentions the fifth. Oh, yeah, that makes sense, Fifth Marine. But that's that's really um, – yeah, there's one part in there now, on my notes here. There was a m- real Marine, a uh, famous Marine ace in the show. You know when it was shows it the pilots? Marion yeah. Carl. Marion Carl was one of the hmm. first aces on Guadalcanal, the first guys that landed. And Marion Carl earned three Navy crosses, and he was uh, – uh, he, he shot someone down on Midway, and then he shot mm-hmm. four more, and he was the first ace, Marine ace. And Marion Carl, huh. they're walking across – you know when the planes mm-hmm. land and there's yeah. three three pilots and their hats flipped up I love it. Them, yeah and that's how they used to wear them and one of them is marion carl marion carl <laughs> end up the, i think retired as a, a two or three star general in the marine corps but he um he made a guest appearance on that and he, he ended up with nice. i think 18 or 19 kills throughout the war yeah just like Jesus. that but have a look hat, ha- yeah. have a look back and it shows them when they're walking across the airfield the three pilots. Yeah. He he has one line. I forgot the what line he says to the other pilots. And it's Marion mm-hmm. Carl, and he's the he was one of the first aces on Guadalcanal, or the first ace on Guadalcanal. Huh. I guess I, I knew from their from their lines and stuff. I'm like these guys are Marines. They're not actors. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, go look right. back. Look back. You'll see it's yeah. toward the end. I think it's near, near the end when it shows the only time they show pilots, and one of them is Marion. The tall one yep. that talks is Marion Carl. Yeah. That's where I have to see when the guys they see the USO sign. Like, oh, where are the dames? Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's him. Yeah, that's him. Um, yeah. yeah, that's that's all I got. Really, I think I've I've hit everything there. But yeah, so we're going to we should we go to the final ratings. I think it's time to enter the final ratings. Mike, all right. you have something or or Michael? Me? Um, I saw your hand up. So. Oh no, sorry, I'm just listening. Okay, cool. 
Uh, so Nate, you should start because you were last to arrive. So. Oh jeez. Um. Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, like, I, unfortunately, I feel like I've I, I missed a lot of the key talking points, so I'll keep mine very short. Um. But I mean, I you know I. I think going over, you know, everything that I said in the beginning, you know, it's a 1940s movie. You have to put it in that box. Um, in terms of it being a 1940s movie, uh, really, really staged in moving the war effort, it is a really good movie. It actually wasn't that bad in terms of just its things. I didn't like the narration. I know why it's there. I know what it's for. It's it's to explain why you should enlist. Um but you know, it's like that's 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 fine. You know, again, put it in the box. So yeah. I mean, uh, I I think it's you know, if we were to compare it, which will we will be re re releasing and redoing Sergeant York, um, uh, to compare it to the Char- Sergeant York when we did it the first time, it's like you know, um, it was very it, it it holds a higher candle in my regards in terms of Sergeant York in the movie. I didn't skip three quarters of the movie, which is what I do with Scar New York because I just couldn't handle it anymore. Um, so, so this There's top th- people and bottom people. Oh, geez. Sh- <laughs> shut up. <laughs> there was a gobble gobble scene in here though. Oh, yeah. I yeah. did yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. I was going to mention that. Yeah. Yeah. There was, yeah. there was a, there was a, they oh. referenced the movie. Yeah. Well, the 1922 what? reference. Well, but anyway, what's that? We'll I'm just a that. stupid <laughs> Japanese soldier. What is that? Oh my God. Let's do it. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, yeah, that's forgivable. Yeah. 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 Go ahead. Go ahead. A lot, lot, lot of 1940s, you know, the Japanese are stupid. The Japanese are dumb. They don't know anything. Oh, 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 but yet they, you know, will stomp your shit in. So, you know, it's, it's, I, I, I really think, you know, again, putting in the box, um, I'm going to give it a seven out of 10 screen Mel Gibson's just because I think it is the best, I think in terms of that score. Um, I mean, you know, there are little things I could say I could pick it apart, but again, time, when it was filmed, during the war, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you got to take that into consideration. So, yeah, I think that's my score. Um, one one quick thing, and I do want to do I, – I had this prepared. Um, I, I have to uh, – I have a written apology uh, to Sean, um, and oh. it is um, – uh, I, I made a boo-boo. So <laughs> this is my uh, apology written, written out. Um <laughs> I, Nate from Maryland, sincerely apologize for not remembering that many wars ago was in fact the movie that Sean had been recommending since the first inception of this podcast. I sincerely regret my actions, and as penance, will abstain from Old Bay seasoning for a week. Oh. Oh, you fucking goofed. Not <laughs> written by Sean at all. Uh, <laughs> not the no, Old I see Bay. It now. I, see, I yeah, see it yeah. now. Okay, yeah. okay. So, yeah. there we go. Uh, but right. yeah, seven out of ten. All right, who are you throwing it to, Nate? Who are you throwing it to, ah! <laughs> Brian? So yeah, no, I have to agree on a lot of your points. You know, um, this is a movie made for men in a nation at war. You know, and uh, it has its flaws, but it, it does a lot of things really well. I mean, it's just it was really cool to see the little things like the sharing the Bibles and you know lying about dames and just the cultural aspects of the time. You know, it is very propagandistic. It has a lot of things, you know, slurs and whatever, just to get the population going. Um, but it's it's a very good wartime film, in my opinion. I think it's honestly one of the best. Um, 
in this vein because comparing it to like uh, Gung Ho, which came out the same year, that's very campy. It's very Sergeant Gorky, in my opinion. And then another film later in the war, it's kind of good, but I don't like it. It's uh, A Walk in the Sun, which is about the invasion of Salerno. I mean, this to me is like probably the best American made wartime film because it just, it shows the bad and the good, you know? And it was just the one shot of a platoon of dead Marines on the surf is just very striking, you know? And, and that time, the middle of the war, you know, and thinking about the campaigns that went on, you know, you have the Southern Solomon's campaigns and the real horrible campaigns of the Pacific are about to start. Tarawa, Peleliu, I mean, it's just going to get worse. So it's just very interesting how it came out right at this time. And, um, it's just a very interesting film and it's definitely worth a watch in my opinion. So saying all that has its flaws and stuff. I'd give this an eight out of 10. It's uh, for the era. If you're going to watch one war movie from the forties, I really think you should watch this because it's just, it's good. They, they, they have enough goodness in it where it's just, it's worth watching. So, and I passed <laughs> the least, pillow. <laughs> yeah. At least they never had a cliche tone. No, 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 Which I was waiting for that. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. Right. Uh, Chinese takeout or Japanese takeout. <laughs> right. I'll pass the talking pillow to you, Michael. Okay. Um, yeah, I, uh, I agree with everything. I, uh, it's funny while I was watching this, uh, because I was watching it in the box as we were saying. And, uh, when I was watching it, I was thinking, my God, like, you could never do a movie today with narration unless it was like maybe a character in the movie. Um, that is such a thing of the past. It's so weird to see that now. And there's a lot of movies back then. Uh, the one that really came to my mind when I was watching it was, um, uh, what's it called? Uh, the the um, Civil War movie. Um, I forgot. But anyway, uh, I forgot its name. But uh, yeah. Red Badge that of Courage. Yeah, Red Badge of Courage, that's what it was. Yeah, it's the same thing where it's like they're, the movie's based on a book and the narration is just stuff from the book. Um, being said by who knows, you know? It's not like a character in the movie or anything. And um, that sort of thing you just have to accept. But uh, it's just funny that a movie can never get away with that today. Um, I uh, Yeah, the propaganda stuff, like I say, the propaganda stuff was very much directed towards, you know, Japanese are bad it was not like again it's it's really interesting that was there was not a lot of like hardcore patriotism you know like uh uh that sort of thing like you know we we were doing this for our country and stuff like that it, it seemed like it wasn't a Sergeant York type of no push on that yeah definitely not the the propaganda was definitely this is the enemy this is the enemy this is the enemy and um I thought that the uh all of the stuff with the America with the Marines you know, it was very much like, I thought it was, it, for the time, it was being very honest. Like, yes, this is a hard job to do this sort of thing. It's not always fun. It's going to be tough. You know, you're going to have, you're going to be scared. You're going to be, I thought it was very honest for the time period that it was made in when it came to that. Um, but yeah, the stuff with the Japanese was, you know, very stupid. Um, but uh, I was impressed. Yeah, I, I, I agree, Brian. I think it's it's better than a lot of war movies that were made at the time, especially for ones that were made during the war. I thought it was, I was actually pretty impressed with a lot of stuff in it. Uh, so I'm going to give it six out of 10. And uh, that's, you know, it's, I recommend it. You know, it's, it's half and half. Yes. Take it with the, 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 the grain of salt and watching it in the box of the time period it's made in. But for what it is, it's pretty good, you know. I'm so. from Flatbush. <laughs> 
Yep. You know the, the the actors did not annoy me in this one like they have with like Stalag Seventeen. I was gonna yeah. ask, did it annoy you at all? No, they didn't. Notice. I thought these That's actors a, yeah. were actually and the characters were pretty good. There was none of that fucking uh, yeah. There was none of that uh, fixed bayonets bullshit or Stalag Seventeen or yeah pusher or anything like that. I mean, the, the, <laughs> the, it was kind of there, but like I don't know, they were tolerable. But I but, thought the but actors... like but like the, the New York actor wasn't awful. It was actually a very very. It was probably the most. Pre-realistic, like, yeah. Like, yeah, pre-realistic, right. not over-eccentric. Oh, yeah. Like, probably because he probably was from that area, so it's not he, that over-the-top. I have to push this to He's He's area. a good middle-of-the-road New Yorker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 No, that's, like, that's, that's, that's good, you know. That's that's good. Out there. They were yeah, not annoying to me. Yeah, like so I said, there was none of that, like, oh, I love Bweddy Quable, like, horse shit or anything <laughs> like that. It's like... <laughs> we got no avocados. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we got no but, avocado. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh... Uh, I, I do recommend it, uh, but I, yeah, six out of six out of ten. So okay. the last one we'll go with, uh, I guess Michael, Michael B. That is. <laughs> yep. All right. Um, you guys have said a lot of what I was gonna say. That's kind of why I like going later, like Nate usually gets the privilege of. I like uh, to be last, but you know it's fine. Yeah, I know penis, but like let's just let's just move on with this. Um, so one thing I will bring up is I literally have seen scenes from the last like quarter of this film. And I didn't know what film it was from until I Me watched too. it. I'm like, Me too. Oh, I've seen these, these scenes before, like the, the running and gunning with the Thompsons and all that shit. And the Stewarts. I'm like, Oh, okay. So this is this film. Uh, overall, again, I cringe usually cause I know it's propagandistic, but this one, like you guys were saying was like, not that egregious. It was actually watchable. And yes, they got some shit, little details wrong, blah, blah, blah. But if you understand the context of the time, I get it. Because there's films that could have done a lot better 20 years after the Second World War ended. And they just chose not to. And it's like, well, these guys did better than you guys did. So there's no fucking excuse. Anyway, um, love the Holly Liners. Love that. Love that. I mean, really love that. That was amazing. That's they probably were just like these are shit. So yeah, in your Hollywood set, you can fucking use these. Yeah, take <laughs> all these them. fucking things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can let them rot off of your fucking heads while you're doing your fake rain and shit. Like we need real like low pressure and high pressure liners. But um, anyway, so overall, not bad at all. And I would give it a a seven out of ten. Um, because yeah, I'd recommend it as a wartime. It, it is a propaganda film. Whatever you've already discussed that. But it's the least egregiously shitty out of all of them that I've seen so far. Uh, and so, yeah, 7 out of 10. Um, that's all I've got. Dave? Oh, yeah. Um, I think, just to go on what all you guys were saying, um, I think the narration, one thing I can think of that part is, is it's a diary. Maybe that's what you know someone's reading the diary to. I don't know what, what they were getting at. Um I would say read the book. I know you, you listeners can't see it, but that's a 1943 original copy. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah. shit. Guadalcanal yeah. Diary. I mean, you can get them fairly cheap, but yeah, the yeah. book is almost like a screenplay. And they've went around quite quite a long, um, what the book says and how the, the screenplay is. Uh, I would say, if you're going to look at any Guadalcanal movie to say realistic, this would be the movie to, to watch. It's the most realistic movie of any Guadalcanal one I've seen. Um, I've seen, well, I think I've seen all of them. There's not that many been made, but if you're going to look at a Guadalcanal movie, I would read the book first, Richard Kagaskis, 
uh, Guadalcanal Diary, and then watch the movie. And then it, it, it puts a few things together. It fills a lot of lines in, but I would recommend this movie and recommend the book for anyone who has interest in Guadalcanal. And obviously take aboard this made during the war and all the other points you guys just said. But um, for a um, Guadalcanal movie or even a war movie, I would, especially made during the war, I'd give it like a seven. Yeah. Yeah, very, very solid. And, and just because we're here, I mean, you've seen the Thin Red Line, the, the most. Oh, I was going to bring that up. One. Which yeah, one? Uh, There's two of them. Uh, oh, oh, the, the, the most recent one. one, the 90s one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what? I'd like it if you if you're willing. I'd love to have you back on the show to talk about that. But just to compare them quickly, I mean, what is your quick opinion of that? You know, oh, know they have carbines and a lot of things. That'd be so, another show, but yeah, but um, mm-hmm. it's a long movie. And <laughs> oh yeah, uh, there yeah. was no M1 carbines on Guadalcanal. I'll say that much. And <laughs> the stupid grenade uh, scene, shit. <laughs> and but the scene, the bunker clearing scene, is very realistic. The terrain is very realistic. Part of it was filmed on uh, actual Guadalcanal because there's a scene where they're walking up a ridge and you, the background got Savo Island. That was actually filmed there. They were there for eight or nine days. And then majority of it was filmed in the same place they filmed uh, the Pacific series up North Queensland in Australia. But the, the terrain, if you go onto my website and or my sorry my, my Facebook site, YouTube, my YouTube and Facebook, we go off the YouTube site. I have an episode called The Charles Davis Medal of Honor in the Thin Red Line. And that shows uh, that action. And it shows what the terrain looked like. In fact, that's the best preserved battlefield on Guadalcanal. And, and the, the actor John Cusack is loosely playing Charles Davis in his Medal of Honor. Um, because the guy who wrote James Jones was a veteran of the 2nd Battalion of the, of the 27th who actually attacked up that ridge. And in the book, it's a fictional book, but he based it on, on, on his reality. Because, in, for example, in the book, it says the, the dancing elephant ridge. It's mm-hmm. the galloping horse. And he just names, he takes bits and parts and just changes it. And, and, and James, James Jones is wounded on that. And the scene where they're running out of water, where you had you know, the battalion commander yelling at the other commander, that's fairly uh, quite accurate. I don't want to get into too much detail about it, but yeah, I'd like to yeah, talk yeah, about it one day. We'll eventually, have to, we'll eventually have to review that film. So yeah, we'd love to get into deep of that because that's a very strange film, and it's the only film I'd say that really captures like the exoticness of the South Pacific to oh, American. Beautiful, beautiful film. Beautiful. Yeah, you know. but the problem is it came out right around Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, it just got it, fucking it, shadowed. It, it got it got mm-hmm. lost in all of that, yep. and mm-hmm. like I really like I have never seen Thin Red Line all the way through. I've only ever seen bits and clips of it. So It's, it's a like, long movie. You just get yeah, it's out it's bored. Really well, that, that, I, that, I think that's what's kept me away all these years is because mm-hmm. I've been told it's not Saving Private... Uh, again, this is... This is 15 years ago. You know, stay away from it because it's not Saving Private Ryan, so why does it matter? You know what I mean? It's like now right. that I'm of the age of... I, like, I finally want to dive into it, but I want to... I'd love to do it with Scuttlebutt just that way I can have that whole thing. You know, it's the same reason... And I it probably would shatter the illusion, that sense of maybe what it got right and what it got wrong. I mean, it's the same thing what we would probably do, or that's what I know with Saving Private Ryan, doing right. almost 20 years in European theater reenacting. You know what I mean? So it's like, you know, it's just yeah. very yeah. interesting. So, but yeah. Um, cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Dave. I mean, I've yeah, learned man. a lot. It's been really cool. I hope you've had a good time too. No, I had fun. And, uh, it's, it's good talking to you guys. It's great. Awesome, man. Yeah, and and just, again, you know, mention your channel. Just, uh just yeah, how you guys can reach you, and he's got some awesome videos. And yeah, I've got a, a YouTube channel it's called Guadalcanal Walking the Battlefield, so you can just 
Google it and it pops up or search engine. And I also have a adjoining, I guess you could say, a companion to it. It's called uh, same title, Guadalcanal Walking the Battlefield on my Facebook. And I update that every two or three days. And I try to supply uh, never seen, never seen before photos and information. And if you're interested in the Guadalcanal campaign, that's you know I try to to assist. And also anyone I assist veterans. Uh, mainly relatives now, not veterans, but veterans and relatives. They'll send me a, a PM or reach out to me and say, oh, you know, Uncle Joe was on Guadalcanal. I don't know what unit he was in or he was in this unit. And once they give me a unit, I can I can send them photos of what it looks like now and I can walk them straight through the battlefield if they want. But my videos are, I made them, so one of my comments, someone put a comment one time, he said, this is pure history with no frills. I mean, I filmed them on an iPhone 7, Right, I edited it on iPhone Seven and uploaded <laughs> uploaded on the Solomon, Solomon Island internet. So <laughs> you can imagine it was is amazing. I actually got it on there, but yeah, you can. It's not for entertainment, so to speak. It's for someone who <laughs> who enjoys history, because basically yep. what I do, I'm walking you through. I'm giving you a personal tour. It's like me and you are on the battlefield, and let's go. And I look at it from um, different perspectives. It yeah, I made it for people who will never ever get to go there, or who people who have go there and do the week long tour with the groups. And I, I concentrated on the the side bars, sort of speak. You know, it's a six month long mm-hmm. campaign, so I had a I was there for off and on for almost three years, but two years solid. And I just said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to drill down and find these areas and 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 get as most accurate as I can. So yeah, that's awesome. For being a history nerd, it's they're fucking awesome, and it's just it's a on the ground perspective of of the battle and what these guys lived and these things that you know have, have, through time have just myths and everything have entered it, but did get to see the facts. Like you heard with Barcelona and everything, you know, it's just the the facts of of what happened. Yep, and it's yeah. Awesome. I want to know more about that. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, because yeah, I didn't know all that stuff. So that's that's awesome. If you that's go, so cool. Yeah, well, I guess I could promote a, a podcast. I made a number of podcasts, but there's one called the War Two Podcast with Angus. Uh, Wallace, mm-hmm. it's a pretty pretty good podcast, and I actually that was probably a few months ago. And we talk about Barcelona. We talk about I go into very detail about that incident. And oh, excellent, yeah, Barcelona no, versus the myth, myth versus the man, sort of thing. <laughs> well, that, that that's kind of what we're doing here. Is we're yeah we're 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 just looking for the truth and like as close to what happened as possible, and also promoting other podcasts. Fuck yeah, do it. Everybody, everybody that's doing the work that everyone here that's sitting here and talking is doing, yeah, they should definitely have uh, recognition and people should go listen to that shit. So, yeah, it's not like a competition. It's not like the 90s where it's like it's all it's competition. This is our show. No, so I'm glad you gave people your your um, 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 YouTube channel and your Facebook group or your page and then other podcasts because the more we can learn, the more we can talk, have debates – discussions and get to the bottom of what actually happened. And then, you know, that, that that's kind of our goal too. So it is kind of flippant as we seem to be at times where we're just kind of talking shit. Um, we actually, that, that that's a huge goal of this podcast is just to analyze films and go, well, this wasn't right from what we know this was right. And we have experts in their fields like you and other people on, and it just makes it so much better to learn. So, yeah. I'm happy to talk about the Pacific, but 
That's I don't know if you're doing Ooh. TV series, but I'm happy to come back on and, and talk about the Guadalcanal oh, bits, we, and we, we, we can really drill. There, we can there's really, talks about that for sure. That's oh, going to yeah. be a doozy. We can drill down into those. Though. Oh yeah. Yep. Alligator. Mm-hmm. And there's a few episodes of the Canal Campaign, so we can really get into that, and that'd be awesome. But yeah, first no, two episodes. Just, anyway, history's awesome, and if you really want to learn more about the campaign and, and the Marines in the South Pacific, and especially yeah. Solomon's, look them up. And uh, Dave, thank you so much. This has been oh, awesome. thanks. I've had a good time. Thanks, guys. Good. Awesome. Well, hope everybody here listening had a good time, and uh, hey, check us out next week and see what we got. So, till next time, peace. Thanks for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to leave a rating. Otherwise, Mel Gibson won't stop screaming. If you like this content, make sure to check out our Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram pages. If you want to directly support our work, make sure to check out our Patreon. All these links are in the description below. Until the next time, Scuttlebutt out.